This is, uh, as you guys know, the, the XL podcast. It's not just a chat. And I thought, obviously, with the 20th anniversary of the Top of the Pops performance of Operation Blade, it'd be a good for us to just sit down and talk about that journey being public domain. So, flinging it right to you two guys, how, for anybody that doesn't know, how did it come about? Because, obviously, Mark, you were in the Metro. James, you were doing a production course, if you what I just talk us through well James you could start off because we were doing a production course on it and then Mark can come in with a DJ or whatever yeah well we had done um, the production course at the SAE um, so we'd come out with a degree pretty much ready to go I had spent years and years trying to get my sound sounding good in my house in the bedroom couldn't do it went to school learned how to do it and came out and um, we kind of myself and the other guy at the time approached Mark um, that'd be Ali who's, who's missing well, an action I was, I, was, I was going to revert to him as kind of Voldemort the one that we've only named you know oh, right. <laughs> but, but, but you've, do, you've done it now so um, well, uh, Jeebus over the shoulder on that um, anyway you, you know we had done that so we had uh, approached um, our kind of local biggest resident DJ which was Mark at the time at I had a degree I had a, deg- a degree in bedroom DJ at the time <laughs> <laughs> a degree in Raven <laughs> Uh, I think we were all pretty much uh, well qualified in the Raven side of things at that point, aye, 100%. Um, but yeah, we'd approached Mark um, to Years this, James? Getting together. What year's this? Oof, um, late 99. Would that I be think, right? I think, it, I think it was earlier, James. I think it was, think? I think it was maybe, I think it was the summer of 98, because I can remember meeting up with you guys in the in Smiths. Yep. for a pint in the afternoon and I'm sure the weather wasn't too bad I'm sure it was 98 and then once we kind of got our shit together I think that was kind of 99 when we actually started making a few bits and bobs and yeah, then obviously Blade came out in 2000 but I think, it was, I think it was 98 because the reason I'm thinking is I was the resident in the metro at the time and that's that was the year that kind of kicked off with us locally and that's when you and Alistair got in touch because you'd obviously you knew about my kind of history with, with Trevor and the Casio brothers because that had been a couple of years earlier I think, and, I think it was 98. And up until that point, you boys had never met before. You like no. a rave or because like, you two used to hang a 13, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I knew of Mark. I had been buying his DJ Life tapes back then for um, quite a while, but Which we had I didn't know at the time, but I never, I never knew that. But you so took the fiver, Mark. You took the fiver. No discounts allowed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I don't even buy memories because I I used to sell them. Do you remember uh, my walker? Do you remember Ewan Ewan Grant that used to work for for Ministry? He used to own Up Records in the Sandgate. Remember the, the record shop in the Sandgate? And I never knew he owned Up Records. Uh, he 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 owned Up, and then from there he went into uh, more kind of heavily involved with Ministry. I think uh-huh. he became the kind of A&R, one of the A and R guys. That's right, aye. For the Ministry, aye. But he so I used to sell my DJ Life tapes and Up, and that that because I used to get a week in a tab with him. You know, so I'd get in a Friday or a Saturday and see. How, how many tapes have I sold? Ah, you've sold five or six this week. So I would, he would give me credit. I, I'd either get to the buy cash, records. But nine, nine times out of ten, I would just get the vinyl back from the tapes that I sold. So Brilliant. it's like, give you ever for it at the time. You know, it's great. So you've got the DJing going on. The Bathies have kind of came through the rave days with Hangar 13. James, what made you get into 
what a day production. You know, was it mere like band things or was it electronic dance music thing? Um, for me, I was playing, I learned to play an accordion um, and I was playing basically my mum and dad's gigs, if you like, you know, it wasn't enjoyable. Doing the lodge. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> mate. I didn't want to come out and say that, but you've done it and it was. You know, I'm no that guy. I've never been that guy. Um, but that that's what I was kind of, kind of brought into and that's where the musical side started for me. Um, I'd, I'd been playing pubs in the tune, um, making 30 quid a night, which was great for me back 16, 17 year old. Mm-hmm. The first night I went to the hangar was the night I stood there and watched the band on stage, and I can't even remember who it was. Um, but I watched them. Ultrasonic. <laughs> it may, it may have been, I don't know. Um, but I, I, as soon as I saw those guys up there, I knew what I wanted to do. It's fucking Ramirez. And, and You're that, like, I, I could be that guy. It may actually have been Ramirez. Um, I seem to remember, um, is it the boy Morato? I seem to remember him playing Silent Night on uh, live on the keyboard. And I'm, you know what? I think it was bloody Ramirez. But remember, um, that was your thing, wasn't it? He had the. Uh, Somebody called the squeeze box in the Ramirez like early live setups. Did yeah. You remember yeah, that Mark, no? I, to be honest, James, I think you'd know for a fact if it was Ramirez or not, because you can't you can't unsee his leather chaps. The boy up the front. Uh, <laughs> I love the girls. It was, um, it, was uh, it, it was bloody nights in a hangar for me, boys. I'm going to be honest. Um, there's, there's not much I remember of it back then, to be fair. But did you see uh, the connection then, feel it? Like your sort of experience playing the squeeze box tail it seeing somebody perform an instrument on stage and did, was that what i'm trying to get is did that kind of join the dots for you like you felt like i could be part of this because I, I you you've got a connection there i wanted to do that as soon as i seen that and that environment as soon as i walked through the doors of that club and it could have been any club to be fair i just like every old school raver i just fell in love man you know um that's you worked all week, you had the stress of life and making money, and then you got there at the weekend and everything was gone. It was just it was just an environment I wanted to live in, you know. Um and you know, it was it was I fell in love with it, you know, and, and I knew there and then that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I started to work towards. It was that point the accordion got ditched and um synthesizers started getting bought. Um, you know, um, cables everywhere in my bedroom, my dad cracking up because I'm up to three o'clock in the morning with a chair running across the floor. Um, I had headphones on, don't get me wrong, obviously no banging out beats at that time in the morning, but you know, um, I just I just started working towards that goal and when I finished the production course, it was everything that I tried to put in place without that production course was there now, you know. I knew how to make things sound good. Did the production course help you with synthesis or was that more like bands and making drum kits and all that up? The the production course was more along the lines of recording bands and uh, things like that. There was a bit um, there was a bit on um, synthesis, but not a massive part. You know, the first thing I had to do was edit real to real tape. Adamski seal seven minutes down to three minutes, and Malorca, I still cringe today when I hear that track. You know, what um, splicing tape and all that? Spli- kind of, splicing right? tape and taking bits of edits out, putting the tape back together with a with, with a little tape splicing kit. You know, it, made, it was murder. You just you know, got a mad twitch like a guy at a fucking yeah. Inspector Cluzo. Every time you hear that. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you cut out too much and you were on the floor looking for the bit of tape that you just cut out, you know. Um, so it is a true thing when you hear them talking about tape from the cutting room floor, you know, it used to be a thing. Um, you know, so it was more along the lines of bands and things like that. But while I was doing that, I had the synths going in the background in my own time, you know, and that was that that was where I really learned my skill with that. It was just hands on, man. Nobody Aye. taught me just what does well, that button do. That's you it. Know? I mean, Matt, you obviously, I think the DJing was your entrance in, but then quite quickly you started production with the Castle Brothers. Is that that's right? That's Aye. your first. Well, I've, always, I've spoke about this, I was thinking I'd spoke about this with you before, Mal, but if you remember, I'd said the first kind of introduction for me was my mum and dad buying me a keyboard when I was seven years old. Can I cast, in fact, it wasn't a Casio, I think it was a, a wee Yamaha keyboard, just a little two octave kind of thing. So that was my first introduction to liking synthesizers and being able to play, just learning by ear how to play music kind of thing. But then just what James he said, you know, when he said he saw one of the first kind of bands he saw in the, in the hangar, he just knew that's what he wanted to do. A similar thing happened to me was when I, I heard Carl Cox on Radio 1. Again, I think I've spoken about this with you before, and it was it was him and uh, the Prodigy were doing a live set on Radio 1 on a Saturday night, maybe like 6 or 7pm. I heard this, and it just blew my mind. You know, Carl Cox and Fedex mixing all these tunes, yeah. like you know, DJ Seduction and Awesome 3 Don't Go, and hearing the Prodigy playing Charlie and all that. It was just like, Bang! You know this little this well this big spark just went off in my head. I thought I need to I need to start. This is something's something. Hey, what is this? What is to, this? I need, to, I need to pursue it kind of thing. You know, so it just all kind of tied in together. And then obviously Trevor was the guy that could he made that happen for me because he just joined all the dots. He told me this a studio in Glasgow. You know, after a few chats and I was kind of becoming friends and going up to twenty third with each other on a Saturday in Glasgow to buy tunes. You know, he knew he found out that I could play the keyboard and. Blah blah blah, you know. So it all came from there. But I was heavily, heavily inspired by what I heard, you know, on Radio One that night, and obviously seeing Trevor in action, and just, you know, I had a, a passion for dance music. I'm not going to say, I'm not even going to say rave music because it was dance. It was anything that was dance. You know, I can remember hearing Technotronic pump up the jam and KLF, and even we spoke uh, spoke before about Snap and them as a dancer and all that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, so there was all that stuff going on in my head. I just I knew that this is what I wanted to do. You know, and, and whatever, how, how, how I was going to make that happen, I didn't know at that time, but I just, I knew that I had to start, you know, trying my best to try yep. make things happen. Yeah. I think as well, because there wasn't the, the internet there, you had to tooth and claw, scrape any information for anywhere, and that, that you relied on finding somebody who may know somebody or may know something about it. So in many ways, that's probably how you guys go together because you're up uh, DJing, you're, you've put some music out. James and <coughs> Ali are wanting to know, you know, how, how do I get a, well, I don't know what you're thinking. We just think, oh, I want to make a record or how do I get a record out? And then you've went, Mark knows, let's get in touch with him. Is that your thinking how you've sort of chapped Mark's door, James? Is that, is that, is that he's done it, we can learn for him? Or how, what's the we, thinking there? We were looking for, what we had was knowledge in audio engineering. You, you know? needed a handsome frontman, um, a DJ. We, we, needed, <laughs> we needed somebody with better business savvy than Bates, HUD and contacts, if, we're yeah. not, if I'm honest. You know, and we, we, we thought, Mark, man, he was he, he was the name in air back, back then. 
Still is. Still is. Get away. He's now here Presswick Troon, you know. <laughs> um, um, but he was, he was, he was, he was very well known in, in that scene back then, and it was because of that and what he had achieved that we thought, mm, I think he's a guy to, to maybe chat the door and, and say, look, let's put our heads together, you know. And to be fair, it kind of worked, man. Did you, you have know? any demos? Did you let did, Mark? Did the boys let you hear any shite demos or anything to say? This is. Did you have anything to go like this? Is what we're doing. It's, it's a, it's a bit fuzzy. I don't think they were, James, but you, you had a you had the studio kind of set up in your mum and dad's yeah. bedroom. And I remember yeah. coming round and just having a wee jamming session and just getting a feel for each other, what, you know, what we kind of liked and what we didn't like. And uh, So I, I think, and then we obviously, we kind of chipped in, we kind of put all our gear together and made the wee studio down at the place beside our, our studio just now, didn't we? Yeah. Um, what was yeah. the name of it back then? Yeah, small town. Small town. Uh, it was Simon, um, and yeah. to be fair, that was Ali that actually got that. I mean, I spoke yeah. Ali earlier on, but he did. He, I mean, it was like a, back then, you know. It was like a cupboard, a cupboard, sized space, but that's where, yeah. that's where the, the kind of the idea the of idea for blades started to kind of happen, didn't it? Yeah, and yeah. then. Um, I took the samples away and did a wee cheeky mix and sent the club scene. I maybe shouldn't have done that. I do apologise, Mark. Twenty years later, did you just get? Did you just get excited? I didn't. I, didn't I just well, the mix I'd put down at the time, I did get quite excited about. Yeah, um, but I kind of think if I hadn't done that mix, we maybe wouldn't have reworked it into the track that it became. You know, so I did do a little sneaky, underhanded. Oh, I'm going to send that up to club scene. I do apologise, Mark. He did tell me half about it at the time, incidentally. Um, I just, I just had a, had a, had a higher. I think I'm not trying to diss you know, in any way, James. But no, because, no. I, because I've maybe had a few releases out before, I could see this had potential, and I, I could see it had bigger potential in club scene. But I can so understand. Sure. I can understand from your point of view because it was maybe your first release in a label, and you're like, oh, club scene, no, because that. Yeah. We all love club scene back in the day. Mate, you were talking about maybe not so much. <laughs> at the time, there was a lot of good stuff in clubs. It and was, it was. You got, you got excited, and there's, I can't, I can't diss you for that, you know, because that's that's absolutely normal, and we're, we're all human beings, and I can see the yeah, excitement. But I, I, I just, I just maybe had to take it, take your bring back right. down a bit and say, Jamesy, this is this is bigger than club scene, you know. So. That's it, and, and again, absolutely 100% right. With that first, I mean, you're coming at it, James, with your first bite of the cherry. So even just to get anything out is, is an achievement. Whereas, like Mark's saying, he's had something out, so he's you're still you're maybe like a couple of rungs up the ladder, going right. This could be on an even better label than that. Whereas, you know, there's that sort of Mark's sort of been there, done that. And you're still what to do that. So there's the excitement. I try to get it out by all means necessary, and then there's Mark going right. Listen, we should be aiming a bit higher. Wind your neck in, Jamesy. Uh, so how did how did the track sort of come about? You know, wh what was its concept? Was it the sample first? You know, who came to who we what? You know, wh how did it all sort of come up, come about? Because I don't think I even know how you kind of crack the track together. Mark pulled the sample into the studio and went, we should work with us boys. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, aye, okay. <laughs> um, you know, um, so to, to give credit where it's due, Sherry brought the sample in, you know. So um, that's the that's the the acid line for New Order's Confusion Pump Panel Remix. Just for people who's listening, going, what they're talking about. The idea yeah. was born. Remember, I said to you before, Mal, it was it was born in the metro because remember, I'd, I'd I'd just seen the film Blade, the blood the bloodbath scene that everybody loves come on, and I, every hair in my body just went, Wing! and I was like, yeah. 
And I, I, then for the next few days, I was racking my brains trying to think, wait, what is that trick? And then I was thinking, Trevor, I'm sure Trevor's played that in the hangar, or I've heard Trevor playing it in the studio. I could, I could see the vinyl. And then it just it dropped, and I thought, I've, I've got that in my collection, and I must have spent about three hours going through all my vinyl, which I, I did that actually have quite a lot of vinyl, even though it was that many years ago. And I remember just seeing the pump panel, and I thought, that, that's it, that's it. So I remember, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, I took it to the Metro, and I thought, because I remember, you, you'll laugh at this, Mal, but remember Robert Stevenson and Tracy Oakley and the guys at the Metro, every Saturday, always at the end of the night and say, you know, great night, Mark, you know, really, really love what you're doing. But see, next week, can you maybe not play quite as hard? Almost every week, because they were really paranoid about things going too hard. The hardcore thing was really kicking off. Sorry, that kind of maybe... Died it, off, it, it, it? It died off, and they were trying to push it in a different direction. But I was still liking the kind of harder stuff, you know, and... So every, not every week, but almost every week they're always saying, tone it down a bit. So I remember having the pump panel thing and I thought, this is this is going to freak them out. So, but I remember, I must have played it maybe like about one o'clock in the morning, or maybe even later, like 1.30 in the morning, stopped the music and just went bang and dropped in the pump panel. And at, at that point, Blade was a big film, you know, a lot of people had seen it. So I got a massive, massive like reaction on the, on the dance floor. And I remember I had the, I did the, Vocals, flavour, flavour vocals in bass for your face, London. And was I just that just after a scratch? It was a, it was a scratch thing. Record. So I, I, I think I maybe had the full a cappella, you know, the kind of live, the little live Public Enemy section on vinyl. I can't remember where, how, how or where I had it in vinyl, but I was mixing and scratching over the top of it. Go bass for your face, London, just looping it and just doing little scratches. And it just it got an amazing reaction. And then that was when I went in. I think I actually met up with James and Alistair on the Monday or the Tuesday and said, look, guys, I, I did this thing on Saturday night. I think this could really have legs, you know, do you want to try and do something with it? And they, they maybe couldn't see what I'd seen. You know, I had this, I saw the dance floor that night and the massive reaction. So I just said to the guys, look, trust me, let, let's, please just let me roll with this. And that was when we really kind of started getting stuck into it. And that was pretty much the first thing we all did together in the yep. studio. So you suddenly actually completed a song before then? You know? Maybe maybe done a, a few hours just messing about with some beats and stuff, but no, nothing you could call an actual track. So how long did it take to put together the first demo of Operation Blade? Wow. James, um, you could maybe... <laughs> yeah, right, I can't remember what I did yesterday or the day before, and you want me to remember what I did 20 years ago? Skill, I mate. Just, skill. 20 years, man? Just, Fucking uh, hell. I, know, I just remember, I remember we did the Guts. Did we, do the, we, did we do the guts of it in that in the small town studio? Yeah, the I think I think we had the general idea down in that studio, and I think we were getting bothered because we kept putting heaters on, and we were getting into trouble for it, and we're giving it this is not working here, man. Yeah. And that's when we moved everything. Um, that I remember it being summer because um, I remember you coming up to mum and dad's and hitting my bedroom up there, um, and and. Smashing it out for there, but we're yeah, talking about music was, here, James, aren't we? Please. <laughs> um, are, are we talking about music? Oh, no. Does it seem like it's going up to your bedroom, smashing out? I'm just, smashing just for the listeners, <laughs> just for the listeners, we're talking about music production, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, time scale, I honestly couldn't. I couldn't say, but it wouldn't be weeks, I think, Mark. Would it be yeah, like? I don't, I don't think it would have been any more than two weeks. I and mean, is this 1998, 99? I, I think it must have yeah. been maybe 99 by that point. 99, I would imagine, yeah. I can remember we had James had bought a wee MC 909 the week and a drum percussion thing. Was it an MC yep. 909? 
It was a MC303 thing. It was a bloody nightmare. All we ended up doing was sampling the percussion from it and using the Akai sampler that you bought. We got the big 909 open hat. I remember even even back then when I didn't really know too much about production, I suppose I was always fascinated by getting the right drum sounds. I was always really pernickety with the drums. You know what you mean? I was saying to the guys, you know, like we need, a, we need a really strong hat, we need a big distorted hand clap, and obviously we've got the crowd samples and everything. But I just knew because with that big distorted kick drum and the acid line that was already in the pump panel sample, we had to kind of match it up with 909 stuff. Yep, Even though yep. I got, at that point I probably probably couldn't tell you what it was that we needed, but I knew in my head what we needed. And as just soon to as I heard that, your tracks are playing out and stuff and, like that. As soon as I heard that MC3 I said, James, we need to get this, we need to get these bits sampled. And the big kind of, the big distorted hand clap, the big 909 ride, the, the hats, everything that was in, that we used in the track, all the percussion came from the MC9, uh, MC303. There was no. one new drum loop, there was one new drum loop we used that was in the dance thing, was it the, the, the rolling dance? dance? Mode, yeah, the rolling what dance module expansion I had, but that's not uh, all we used as well. We took the big snare from your XP10. Oh, that's right, aye, that's Remember? right, aye, aye, yeah. aye, aye, yeah, 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 that's right. So the, the track was all all from, all born from hardware, yeah. you know. Just um, sampled. It was, aye, yeah. it was long before the time of soft synths, like. And the, the, um, the, crowd, the crowd sample came from a Deep Purple Live album that I had in vinyl. Fuck knows where it came from, but that's the kind of, you know, the kind of crowd, crowd crescendos and stuff that came up that, they were all from Deep Purple. What made you put the crowd samples in? Was it because the Metro and playing it live, you think, let's get a live vibe here, or what's leading you down that road? I, I suppose just, maybe because of the, maybe because of the ultrasonic thing, you know, just maybe I'd a, I loved those kind of live field tracks at the time, and that's why maybe I said to, I don't even know if it was my idea to put the crowds in it, but I remember just having a, I think it maybe it could just have been as simple as the fact I had some vinyl to go through, found some good samples and the crowds were there and I thought but, uh, let's, yeah. let's just take those because that, that, that into the mix. That, that's what the mentality was back then you know you could be sampled whatever you could get your your hands on you know something physical in your hand to sample that's what yeah. you did you know so that, yeah. that could just be as simple as that well you, you did you used to bring in that tapes and it just just all little tiny loops then and, aye, aye, and, aye. Yeah. and we would just run them in and, and edit them and and get them sampled up, man. So yeah, you were you were an absolute wizard at doing that back then. And what? How so? Was it close to what people would realise as the finished mix that you had in that demo? Was there anything much changed for you? You're then taking the demo to play at the Metro Mark, or? Aye. Well, James will tell you as well. If you strip it back, all that was in it was the pump panel sample, the, the GP. 8000 8, doing the the rest of the percussion was there the kick drum was sampled from a BXR track uh, a track and then we had it pretty much in in demo form and pretty much mastered well enough for me to road test it in the metro and yep. um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you were there the first night mile but the first time I played it I don't even know if you were there James no, no I was there the first night mile right. and it just wrecked a gaff Absolutely, I had tears running down my face. It huh? was actually welling up, thinking about yeah. it now. Yeah. It was amazing, you know. Something yeah. that I'd fell in love with, and I'm now standing there watching something that I had been involved in creating, yeah. smashing yeah. the gap. Is it, Brilliant. was you, so Matt's DJing every week, James, was you cl still clubbing then, or had you gave that up? Is this your first time back out in a few years since the early rave days, you know, and um, then seeing, seeing a club going fucking script to a track that he's have produced? 
I had still, I was still clubbing. I was still hitting the metro quite regular, um, at least once a month. Anyway, um, so I was still clubbing. Um, back so you're then. still kind of fucking seeing. You're seeing it for a raver's point of view, right? I'm just fucking I, one of the ones kind of thing. You're, I, you're, you're in about I, it. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Out my tatty, gain it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that is where the music. That's that's what the environment was for me back then. You know, um, and I suppose for many too. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, man. I didn't watch it as a raver, not a producer slash engineer. You know, um, I, I was a just, raver uh, still at that point. I can always remember the big rock and roll, big rock flashing, flashing lights they had along the back of the the, the bottom bar, and yep. just standing in the DJ box, the big flashers were always going right towards. I don't know, if, I don't know what the, the correct term is for those lights, but they're like big rock concert lights, the big strobes, and Billy Ray used to go nuts with them. And I can remember, you know, the bass for your face, London, the vocals just building up and up and up in the whole place, and it was like daylight inside, loads of smoking out, the lasers were going. It was just, and then it, it dropped and. The whole place, I'm just, I'm getting major goosebumps just now thinking about it. The whole place went fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I was like, holy fuck, this, wow. is, this is crazy. This is wow. really, this, this could be a big tune for us. Because I, I, I'm not been arrogant by saying this, but I know for a fact it was, it was the biggest tune of the night. You know, and that, that, that kind of made us think this could be really big. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah. And then, is that, you playing that once, twice a night at every one of your gigs from that point kind of thing? Pretty much, right? I mean, I think we kept on maybe kind of tweaking it and improving it over the next few weeks after that. But then we got to the point, James, you had to correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when we sent it to Slinky, didn't we? Yeah. We, oh, no, 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 fu- no, 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 we sent it to Billy. Billy killed it 23rd first. Right. It was Billy that sent it through to Slinky. Right. So the mix. Sorry to interrupt, Mal. Do you know what the connection was between Billy and Slinky then? What, what? It'll be Elka. Okay. Aye, that's right. It was a boy, Elka. Aye. I yeah. was licensing stuff to Billy <clears throat> to, via Elka. He was a slinky guy. All the proggy stuff at the time. Elka was like a mover. He would sell his fucking brother for a score. You know, like he was just a, one of these kind of used car salesman type. Yeah, a lovable guy, yeah. but he's always sniffing out something. A wee hint to make money. So I, I think he was the slinky connection to Billy. Right because he was already dealing with Billy on the Limbo Prog stuff. Right. But he also had an oar in with the Slinky Hard House guys. Right. He's got all the, the you know, the Bedrock guys. He's just, he's working everybody down there. You well, know what I mean? Just a, to, A&R type guy, can I think? Aye, A&R. But in his mind, it was, how I'm going to make a fast back. No, that was... Dicking <laughs> But um, just before we go into that, so it would maybe have been like the first or second week then that you played it, because I, I remember being fucking blind drunk at the Metro and you've went to his Mal, wait till you hear this it's a track we've done I'm just I'm going to play it or something and and I, and I, and I remember you know I, I think I was stunning behind you at the the DJ box thing and you played it and also the fucking places erupted but I was just like that's fucking great mate fucking mega and then just fucking I don't know, off you pop, and I'll just away again, kind of thing. So I remember, like, you saying, check this out. Would that have been that? We've been, like, the early plays of it, kind of thing? That would have probably been, as James said, late summer, 99. Right. And I think by the time Slinky had picked up on it, and then the point labels had gone out. In fact, it might have been early summer, 99. And then things happened very quickly with Slinky, 
they pressed up white labels. I don't know if you want to go as far ahead. Well, just before we get that, so like James said, you sent it to Billy. What's Billy's reaction to it? I can do this, boys, or what? Just James will tell you. You know, I remember them playing it in the shop, and they were, they were all they were all totally vibing off it. And I think they they knew it was going to be a big track as well. And I can remember, I, I can't remember who it was exactly, but I think a couple of the guys that were working in the shop. It wasn't guys that I knew well, like like Colin Stevendale or uh, Stephen McCreary. I think it was maybe a couple of the younger guys. I can remember. I'm, I'm sure I can remember Billy playing it through the sound system in the shop, and you could see you know all the wee guys are standing going through their uh-huh. Daniel picks for the week and you can see the kind of ears it's like that you know the meme where Jim Carrey's out the car and he's giving it back uh-huh. it's like that kind of thing as if people would kind of stop listening to what they were listening to just to check out what was what they yeah. heard because it, it just had such a big kind of impact you something know, about it people, uh, it's crazy so he's for however why he's hooked it up to Ilka who is then put it on the desk of Slinky which is a, a Bournemouth record label is that right? yeah and they quite quickly got up and went, right boys, we'll sign this right now. Was it quite fast? Uh, James, can you remember anything about this, mate? Um, no, for the slinky side, no. Um, I remember getting white labels through with the original Flavor Flav vocal on it. Um, and then, and I, I have no idea the time scale, but I, I, I know that Extravaganza um, had put in an offer to well, license was, it or, or buy yeah. it from Slinky. Um, but that was later on after it. Put it this way, there was a 12-week period where Jules played it in Radio 1 for three aye. months. I like, at, every yep. single Saturday. And I think I think the second time or even the third time we played it, it was his tried and tested tune. And then it just went nuts after that. It was like yep. the, the, the white labels had sold out, they were pressing up more. And then that's when the big boys were started like, getting in touch with Slinky, like, I think we got an offer from, I think Sony were sniffing about, I think Warners were sniffing about, Alex Gold basically came in, and I think he said he would beat any offer, you know, so yeah. it just kept on escalating, yeah. but the whole time this was going on, we knew that we had to get the vocals redone, yeah. and you were the man for the job, man, you know, you, yeah. were, the, you were the first choice to get the, the vocals redone. So and just for MC Lee. It couldn't go to the next level without, with, Flavor Flames vocal, it had to be re-recorded. So for anybody listening, the original mix had samples of uh, Public Enemy, Flavor Flav, seeing the bass yep. for your bass, bass for your bass face, bass London. Yeah. So yep, yep. when when the majors are starting to sniff about, you guys are going, we need to sort out the sample situation here. And then what are you, is, it, is the labels also saying, look guys, you need to get the fucking samples sorted here or, or who who owns what on this kind of track? Yeah. And yeah. then how, how did how what, is it a meeting that you guys have had? How how did my name get flung into the pot? Hey, all well, this. That, that was Mark's fault, mate. There was nothing to do with me back then. It's all Mark. You know, the funny the funniest thing was, Mark. I don't even know if I've like gone into this in much depth with you before, but we had already the three of us. I, I, long story short, I was resident in Excess Nightclub in the Nile Court in here. It was called the Temple at the time, and the the manager in there, Kenny, who was really friendly with at the time, I'd I'd said to Kenny, look, Kenny, we need to record some vocals. Can we come into the club and we'll play this track we're working on? Can we just use the mic and try and get a revive going? We'll try recording the vocals to see if either one of us could do it. I, I had a I shot. I think you've, you've I, actually told I, me about this. You've had a shot <laughs> of doing it. 
Yeah, and the threes together obviously I'd met you Mark before but I met the threes together I remember Bongo which is Ali he had some mad fucking uh, bandage on his leg and he kept scratching his leg and he was saying he thinks it was what was that flesh eating disease it was kicking about <laughs> and I remember the full, like, he was sitting in my studio and he's kept he's showing us this big fucking scrab in his leg and he's scratching <laughs> and I remember like he left it. I was like, oh, who is that guy, man? Because <laughs> he had sat going, I'll fucking tell you, boys. I don't know what it is. I think it could be this. Whatever this flesh eating bug was. <laughs> and I remember just sitting, all right, boys, aye. <laughs> You're just like backing away from <laughs> <laughs> I Fucking come up in the geese, a fucking life threatening disease. But I remember okay, that for the, the first meeting, and I think we'd kind of spoke about it. And then I actually, even on my end of things, I remember being apprehensive about even doing it and being involved. You sound problems, Mark? Oh, you're right. Open the door. Sorry, mate. That's <laughs> all right. I'm just saying, to my end, I remember, you know, sort of being flattered to be asked, but being kind of apprehensive about being involved because I was kind of thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking I was, I, I'd fucking moved on for like, the rave stuff and I was doing the proggy yeah, trancy kind of stuff and I, and I was going, is this, you know that way you're going, is this the right thing? Should I do this? I think, you know? was, was, I think there was two things holding me back. First of all, was it the right direction for you? And second of all, because uh, as you know, you're meant to kind of, your music taste kind of slows down and gets a bit kind of deeper and funky as you get older. And, and, oh, it's, it's, gone, it's gone the opposite direction for me right now. But I think you were, first of all, was it the right direction? And second of all, you'd absolutely toured the ass off the world by that point yeah. anyway, because you've been around the whole world several times while to Sonic, you've done a hell of a lot too than any of us by that point and you were th probably thinking in the back of your head, am I capable of doing this again? Is this the right thing for me to, you know, if, if it was Aye. to blow up, which obviously it did. Well, I don't even think, I, I was even on the, the blow up, I, you know, maybe you said a tinkling of this is going to blow up. For me, it was just like, boys I know are doing a track and they want me to do a vocal on it. That, that was kind of like, I, that was my level of thinking. Your news are gone. It's going to be no, but how many people do you meet that are writing music are telling you it's fucking huge? Obviously, every track everybody writes is the best thing I've ever done. So, like for me, it was like, all right, fucking brilliant. Do I want to get involved? And like, I've, I think I've probably both tell you different things. It was Maria. It was like I must have been talking to her about it, and she went, "Listen, Matt's your friend. Why not just help your friend? What? what because she's just gone black and white, you know, like, what's the prop? She's no thinking, oh, is it this kind of music? Is that? She's like, well, how do you know just help your pal? And and that was the thing that made me go, any other kind of thought, it's all bullshit. I'm just helping yeah. somebody. They, you know, what, what's this, this kind of man knows? 
yeah. and you said sent us up the dart or maybe you left me the dart and it was later that night or the next day I, I just basically went in we plugged in the SM58 put the headphones on and just fucking smashed it out and then I think I sent you the dart tape the vocals yeah. doing, and then I just forgot about it you know it was just like job done for my end and I, I don't know then maybe you can talk about what happened at your end because you're then mixing it you're dealing with Alex Gold saying turn up the hi-hats where, 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 what happens then? I've, I've gave you doing the tape, so you're going, you know, even thinking about it now, the pressures of he's mixing a seven-inch commercial single now, is that where you are at, or well, where he's? I think James could probably tell you as well, making the 12-inch was really easy. Yeah. You'd smashed it with the vocal, we didn't really need to treat it with any effects. Yeah. It was all, you'd, you'd obviously done all your the homework with ultrasonic vocal, you, you add in your distortion, your compression, everything was perfect. Yeah. I think one thing I remember you picked up me on and was the timing. I think I'd changed the timing of one of your vocals. And you, I, don't, I, know, I know you weren't angry, but I think you were like, why, why did you change the timing in that? You know, and I, I was like, what do you mean? I just tightened it up. Like, no, you, you changed. And I can't remember what line right. it was or what, but I, I can remember you being like, you know, a bit kind of puzzled. But in my head, all I'd done was maybe just get it a bit more on the beat or something. Maybe uh-huh. James remembers that, you know, I'm not too sure. You um, are. That Mal's a fucking demon, man. I make Mal with it. What a wank. James, sorry, James will bite me up. It's the, the, making the two lunch was a it was a piece of piss, mate. You, you made it really easy for us. And yeah. also, you're, you're you're putting it together as a DJ and DJ structure, which you're playing fucking countless tunes. You all you all kind of know what you need for a dance floor. I guess the problem is. Yeah, boys, we need a seven-inch radio mix. That's when you just go, wait a fucking minute. That's a whole that, different kettle of fish. Yeah. That that see that making that radio edit. I've been. I was actually thinking about this this morning. So we've got some extra stuff to talk about. We've not. I know I've never kind of mentioned this before. And James, this will send a shiver down James's uh, spine. Alex Gold put us through the mill to get that fucking radio edit for Radio One, and it had to be perfect. One thing that happened that was good. I actually ended up being three minutes. Three seconds long, so it was yep. three o three. Never, never forget that. Love it, man. Love but it. we we were in the studio, sweating buckets, getting shouted at for the neighbours in the studio because you know with houses built right next to the studio, it was fine when the windows were closed, but it was so hot inside with the windows open all the time. With Alex Gold and, and the phone shouting at us down the phone, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat about the bush. He was being an arsehole to his major yeah, arsehole. Yeah. What's going on? Abusive, can I? This, this isn't the right length. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, we don't have time to we don't have time to fuck about guys you know and just heavy duty pressure and I'm like for fuck's sake and I remember getting the edit finished the way that we thought he wanted it driving to Presswick Airport going to one of the courier companies and at that point you couldn't just email a clip or email an mp3 there was none of that that's right aye he had to get the data pay £180 every time to get a courier company to fly it like first class whatever it was Courier it down to London to the extravaganza office. He'd get it the next morning or maybe even through the night, listen to it. Next day he's back in the phone giving his dog's abuse. Oh, well, I need to do this, need to do that. It was like three or four times. Meanwhile, I'm having to use my, my credit card. I didn't have much money at that point. Credit yeah. card to pay for stuff, to get the courier. Like four days in a row, like, you know, six, seven hundred quid to get fucking that tape sent down to Alex. Wow. And then eventually, it was we got it done and it was it was literally on radio one pretty much the next day or two days later you yeah. know but it was it was stress 
the stress was beyond belief. And I, I, don't, I don't actually think heavy, it needed to be like that. I think it was just Alex being Alex, you know? Uh, and for anybody who who's listening doesn't know, Alex Gold is the owner, head A&R of Extravaganza, which at that time was a fucking unbelievable massive, label, a huge massive, label. Massive label, yeah. Filled with some great artists. Chicane being the big one. But this guy, Alex Gold, I don't know if, obviously I had never met him before, and I'm sure you suddenly either. I don't know if you had dealings with Mark before with being a DJ, but he's it instantly struck me as one of the London guys who are just power mad, whatever success has went to his head. There must be some kind of talent there for the guy, but there wasn't much to hold on to like. You know, there wasn't much liking in him, but there must have been some kind of thing there to see the track, to be pushing news, to get this radio edit. You know, what I'm trying to say is, I thought he was a dick, but there must have been something there that he's heard in the track to push you guys to get the best out of you guys for that radio edit. I, I mean, I, I think he was a he was a bit of a bully boy, you know. He was just either, you know, he's just control freak is Aye. the best description. Aye. Aye control freak you know he had to be involved he named himself as executive producer without speaking to any of us or being in know, the studio um, <laughs> or, be, or even being there exactly you know the, the fact that mark's paying this money to get these dat tapes sent down south um and this guy's on the phone giving him dogs abuse yeah that makes him an executive producer no that just makes you a ball bag mate you know um, again naivety as well isn't it you're kind of going yeah, oh is this, yeah. what, is, this, is this what happens is this that's what, what it's that's like now yeah, yeah, is yeah, this yeah. what shit I need to fucking do to get a record out? you're just yeah. kind of going along with it where I think anyone is turn it flip it to now you just go like hey, get the fuck I, you I, know the, the best absolutely. way I can describe it is it was like being in a whirlpool and as it got nearer and it was just you basically get sucked up and your next thing you're spinning around the middle going ah it was like that you know you just you get caught in the current Aye. and it just sweeps you up and spits you out the other side that's what the whole industry was like but getting to that getting that radio edit was probably one of the most stressful things I've ever revolved in and I, I'm talking about myself here the stress, most stressful thing I've ever done in my life just having that deadline wow. having to smash it having to drive to the airport like a maniac having to pay the cash to get it sent down to them and then eventually get over the line but that was a horrendous horrendous experience that I just had no idea it could be that how about the relief when he's accepted it did you just all like, oh, thank well, it, was, it, was, it was great you know and I think yeah. uh, I obviously want to let James do some talking to you as well, but one thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say for you, is that we woke up to go down to London, I think, to sign the contracts, James. And I remember, we'd, yep. I think we'd like a, a 5 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. Ryanair flight from Presswick Airport. And this involves you as well, Mal, because you, I think you came down. Did uh, I? I'm sure you, you came down with us and you had to meet us at Presswick Airport. I can remember we were, run, were running late to check in, and I can remember you galloping down the, the escalator because you'd come over the new bridge. Uh, aye, aye, aye. Like, where, where the fuck's my radio? Oh, we're boys, we're boys. I remember you seeing you galloping down the escalator. <laughs> <laughs> all that. I remember my, my radio alarm clock went off at like maybe 4.30am or 4am. And it, 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 was, it was Blade. I, yeah, I got woken up man. by Blade. Oh, right, so, do you, right, so straight away, it's on the, on the radio? It was, it was, it was running, fucking it was, hell. It was played already. It, was, aye. Yeah. I, I, it might not have been the contracts we're going down to sign, but we're going down to meet Alex. Well, I think it was a promotional uh, thing, it was, I think it was the contract, but it, was, it wasn't the contract for Blade, it was a contract for uh, the album options that they wanted to come and play. Uh, 
Maybe so, my, my timelines get mixed up a wee bit, but I can yeah. remember sweating. We're all, we're all sweating buckets to get this radio edit done, and then remember waking up on my radio alarm clock at four o'clock in the morning. The blade, and that's when I knew. Uh, when the radio phone in the morning. Huh? Yeah. That, that's what I couldn't believe. I was like, "Fucking hell!" It's like you yeah. earlier I was my bang, banging it off. Banging it off, man. And I, I can remember it going off, and I, I thought it was dreaming. You know, you know that day when you you can have still a bit of coffee in the radio mix. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy things, man.
just as you were saying that, the rush to get it out again made me think the the Watt Brothers also had a track with a, the, a similar sample. I think they'd recreated it, didn't they? That yeah. was that was part of the race, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. was you, when did you become aware of the Watt Brothers track? Was it Aquagen? It was called, they called it or something. Watt Brothers versus Aquagen. I might have been actually. I I, been something nice. like that. Mm -hmm. When it was Watt Brothers and somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but they that had a track that was that. So, user, when did you become aware of the Watt Brothers had a similar, when I say similar, the, the Blade samples in their track kind of thing? When was you aware of that? Fat Bass, uh, that's what it was. Fat Bass. Uh, uh, yeah. I think uh, I was in 23rd Precinct and the White Labels of Blade had been out doing the rounds for maybe like a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and then the next thing I knew there was a Doss or Die release. Remember the German label Doss or Die? Yeah. And I think, I think Billy had actually said, Mark, there's, there's somebody else had done this thing as well, the Blade kind of thing. I was like, you're fucking kidding me on. And I remember going up and hearing it and seeing the cover and I was like, I've never heard of these guys. And still to this day, people, well, occasionally people will say, oh, you know, oh, he's ripped off, you ripped off the Warpers and blah, blah. Absolute no. bullshit. Yeah. Guys in Germany had the same idea as us, pretty much probably at the same time, maybe give or take two or three weeks. Probably watch the movie. They, they ah, hadn't well, heard, they the hadn't movie was heard, huge. Exactly. They hadn't heard our version, we hadn't heard theirs. It was, there was no, there was no internet or stuff like that back in, you, yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't hear people's little previews and SoundCloud and all this stuff you can do these days that we take for granted, you know, unless they despise watching us or read spies in. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's bullshit, you know, and I still defend my ground that that's, that's utter bullshit. But the fact is, they come up with the same idea. Dave Pierce was obviously in Radio 1 on a Sunday night. He'd started his own label, New Life. He'd signed the Fat Bass track. So Jules was playing our Operation Blade every Saturday in Radio 1 and Dave Pierce was playing Fat Bass on the Sunday night. And it was just this peg for peg yeah. race. Because you know, that was the race to get it out, was it? For the, yeah, the first one yeah. to be released? Yeah. So Dave yeah. Pierce's champion has, Alex Gold's champion has, and they're both, were they getting released head to head? Or how did yeah. it... And I, I think, just, just going back to what we said earlier, I think this is why there was so much pressure on us to get the radio edit done, because we Aye. knew we'd a better chance to get in higher in the charts if we get ours on the big time radio before theirs. That, yeah. there, was always the, there was always the race. But bizarrely as well, probably each... It just shows you the, how huge the track was because probably each track is helping each track because it's all kind of tying into one almost kind of thing, maybe not, but then maybe with the vocals and saying public domain is forcing people to understand that's the record there. Whereas they, I think they, they never did any MC in theirs, did they? Or? Uh, uh, no, no. No, it was just the was, 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 was feel the blood cursing through my veins or something yeah. like that. But um, of course, coursing through my veins. I, I, I know what you mean, but I think I think Blade would have actually done a bit better when it, if, if Fat Bass hadn't come out. I think it did take the sting. Yeah, 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 I think so. Diluted really. the sales, took, maybe. Took to the window of sales a little bit, maybe just just enough. You know, I think we got we got to number five in the charts. We're all delighted with that. You know, that was amazing. Could not believe it. But I think we might have actually got maybe four or top three. Maybe even higher, you know, if, if Fat Bass hadn't come out. Uh -huh. It was just always that. There was a bit of a competition between them both. A lot of the guys in the clubs, you either like Blade or you, did, or you like Fat Bass. Take Fat Bass out of the equation, people would have only have bought Blade. Uh, you know, yeah. so I, I disagree yeah. with that a little bit. I think it right. did affect the sales. I, I never we, thought we, about we, that. We, we weren't in it for the sales, and I, I still, you know, we all know that to this day. None of us did it for the money or anything back then. We did it because we just came up with the idea, we rolled with it, we were all ecstatic the way it turned out but 
at the end of the day, it did affect the sales, and I'd, I'd love to have seen what would have happened if that base hadn't existed at the time. Uh, yeah, because, true. but again, for people listening, 20 years ago, back then, that's when record sales were record sales, selling by the bucket load, hundreds yeah. of thousands. So yeah. like, even, again, I can't actually remember, but back then, you know, I think in Run About the Charts, there was like Madonna's, and it was all like fucking huge artists, wasn't there? And it was like... Yeah crazy sales each day because I remember obviously getting information filtered back for you guys if I spoke to Billy of the chart position and, and what it actually took to get an, another click up the charts or whatever and it yeah. was like you know you're kind of going how many? You no know, like I, I remember, it's actually I remember. selling fucking however many thousands yeah. Well, yeah. It, it really went, it went silver in extravaganza it sold over 200,000 copies in the first week but as far as, the, oh. as far as the white labels go with Slinky, I've got no idea. James, do you remember how many copies they get pressed up? I've no idea. No, no Slinky, they've done thousands and thousands. Yeah, yeah no, probably. No idea. But probably. Um, I remember, uh, this is kind of moving on a wee bit too far, maybe, but Dr. Fox, was it Dr. Fox and the, the, the charts? Remember the charts on the Sunday? Was it Dr. Yeah, Fox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He, he phoned us up and I had to do a little kind of quick chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got Mark Sherry from Bob with the Mind on the phone. Uh, how how do you feel about beating the Boha, the Boha boys with who let the dogs out? And I'm like, oh, there's who? a lot of dogs out there, Dr. Fox, isn't there? <laughs> You're a real fucking yeah, doctor. Like, <laughs> the, Boha, the Boha, Baho boys or Boha boys or something, I was like, you know, that, that's that's the kind of shite we're up against. Was that, was that who let the dogs? Was that, that fucking yeah, right? right. They were at number six and you were at number five. Mental. So, and it was, uh, it was uh, closest face, Keaton. Ronan uh, Keaton. Ronan Keaton, he was, I think he got number three or number four or something. Was, was it you, James, or Ali asked him for his autograph for your ma or something like that? Uh, well, I was like, game of doing at the top of the pop thing, but I asked him for his autograph first for my missus, just to be cheeky. Aye, was it known like a fag packet or something you gave him for an autograph? He was raging. Um, I mind him been fucking raging. I was not happy at all, man. He wasn't happy at all. I mind him being in the toilet, shaving in a wee white cup. And I was like, all right, mate. And he was fucking just livid looking at his shaving. Hey, fucking boy there. But that's kind of jumping on. So, like, the, the tune's fucking blowing up. When did yeah. Extravaganza or whoever get in touch with you and went, Top of the Pops is on the cards here, boys. And again, to think that it doesn't feel like I still think fucking 2000 was 10 years ago or something yeah. like that in my head. Yeah. It's 20 years yeah. ago to pretty much the day that yeah. the track was on Top of the Pops. So when did you get the call, boys? How do you feel about doing Top of the Pops? Well, James, you don't Man. I, I don't even remember getting the call. I, I, I actually, I had, I, I don't even know. One, even one, know. There's one, one wee piece of the jigsaw that we didn't discuss. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but the fact is, when you said about Fat Bass and Blade, I remember Alex Gold kind of used that as a tool to really put the shits up us to get us to sign to him because yeah. he put so much pressure on us saying, guys, I've sent you the contract, get it looked over, but I need this signed back by tomorrow morning or else Fat Bass is going to come out before Blade. If we don't move yeah. on this now, we are going to get beaten by the Warp Brothers. Okay, and, uh, and I, I just... I, I'll, I'll take full responsibility. We should have had a music lawyer look at that contract. Without getting into all the, the nitty gritty, yeah. we should have had a music lawyer look at that. Alistair was, maybe you as well, James, you're both maybe digging your heels a little bit with the contracts, you know, we do, we need to get this looked over a lot more in yeah. more detail, blah, blah, blah. We did get, my dad had a wee business in here at that point, and we got his lawyer to look at it, he wasn't a music lawyer, he did 
recommend that we didn't sign it until we'd had a few things changed. But me being me at the time, being naive, I was like, guys, we're going we're gonna to get beaten by the Warpers if we don't get this signed back. And that's faxed over. It was fax at the time. Faxed yeah. back to Alex Gold tomorrow. You're screwed. We're going to get beat here. You know, so it was, it was well, on the fence. I was like, gung-ho, come on, let's get this signed. The guys were like, oh, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. We should maybe be a bit more cautious. So it's one of those ones. If we had got it checked out by a music lawyer, yeah, we could have made a lot more money probably, but at the same time, would it have been a hit if the Watt Brothers had got in there first? It's one of yeah. these things, we, 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 don't, we don't, sitting here just now, none of us know what could have happened. There's so think, many ifs and buts and what. Aye, but I think, it really, obviously it's a benefit of hindsight, I think basically what Extravaganza done, and if you look at just record labels in general, they basically exploited the naivety and hunger of the artist yeah, they're coming from a business point of view we're, and they know all the mad. buttons to press and yeah. us as artists are just going really is that what we need to do we better yeah. do this because we're, we're no businessmen we're fucking want to write, write make music yeah. so I can Wonderful. fully un- even though I, at the time I remember going look boys you shouldn't be signing anything and I remember getting a bit of grief for you no grief but just like we need to because I had been ripped off with, with club scene before and I, was, and I could kind of see you know, you could so get it right here, but again, hindsight's an amazing thing. You know, you ex- it, exactly. Yeah. But again, yeah. what businessmen they they know the business. We're no businessmen, uh, yeah. certainly at that point, and they just exploit the hunger of an artist. You know, and it's through time that these yeah. kind of things have happened. So I mean, there's I don't think there's anybody to blame, and you know, you could look back and go, I could have, should have done it. But equally. You go to track out, you get it top, it gets into the charts, it fucking blows up all around the world. They're phoning and going, top the pops is on, on the cards. What, what, did, what, what happened? What's, what's going on in your head then? I don't think it was just top of the pops. I think there was a couple of things at the time as well. We had Pepsi chart show and was it not all, not all about the same day? Was there not a couple of things we had to do? I just or? remember the top of the pops. That was the only the top of the pops thing. Just thing like I remember going, fucking hell, top of the pops. It definitely yeah. it all came from extravaganza. Whether Alex phoned me, that was the kind of unfortunately I was the guy who pretty much dealt with Alex's phone calls. That was me that either got the good calls but also the bad calls as well. You know, half the time I was like that holding the holding the phone away from the hand away from the sorry, holding yeah. the phone away. Um but it, 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 it all came from Alex. So whether Alex I actually surprisingly I can't remember how we get told, James. I can't I can't remember it. It's something no, I probably should remember, but I, I really maybe came from Billy or something like that. Twenty third. M- maybe did. Maybe came from the publishers. Maybe came from Billy. Yeah. Not too sure, but um, it definitely came from Alex in some form because he was the guy that was doing like Suzanne. Suzanne in the office. Suzanne's a lovely girl. She was a great girl. I'd you'd said earlier, you know, if I'd had any dealings with Alex at Extravaganza, I'd, I'd, I'd dealt with Extravaganza. I'd dealt with their team for maybe like a year or two years up to that point because they were sending out vinyl promos and all that stuff yeah. so I had a really good kind of working relationship with the team in the office but not with Alex um, but up to that point I, I did no dealings with Alex but then to have him on the phone you know, all the time was just a bit a bit mad but I can't actually remember where it came from it might even be a Suzanne that maybe called me or but I, I, I can't sadly I can't remember how we yeah. were told but I can remember no idea just, either. I can remember yeah. you know being so excited about it you know uh, I, I can I, I'll never forget it for me because at that time obviously I've got my studio in Glasgow and 
I'm, I'm, I'm fucking knee deep with David Forbes writing like a, a proggy house kind of scanner stuff. Body with David, David Forbes. <laughs> Back to that again. He, heavy stoned and the phone goes, and I picked it up and uh, I think it was, I think it might even be somebody for extravaganza because it was one of the kind of out the blue kind of things, you know. Also, so you're trying to get your shit together. Like, Hello, I talk to pops or something, and I don't know if we'd already spoke about it or whatever, and it was kind of like uh, they were saying about. Dana and but miming, and I was like, I, I'm sorry, I'm no miming. Oh, there's no way I'm going to talk about because in my head I just thought, fucking hell, that's just really going a lot, lot of fucking yeah. idiot. Yeah, and they I remember cables that, in the keyboards. They didn't even have cables in the keyboards, mate. You know, I'm standing there giving it. There's no power running through these. I'm not standing up here like a fucking dummy. cables in these at least, man. You know. Well, what they say to me, mime, make it make it look as I if make I'm it look realistic, at least, you well, know. So um, wow. I, I'm like this, no, 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 no miming. And then they went like that. Well, listen, have a wee think about it because there's going to be something like, I think she said something like 14 million folk watching. And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, and I just remember the paranoia. <laughs> and I sat back doing Davies like that. What is it? And I was like, eh, just said 14 million folk. And it just kind of felt like that was like the fucking wet. 14 yeah. million. And it was top of the pops. But then again, we, we did it, and uh, so cutting to the, the top of the pops thing, I just remember, I don't, I don't also remember getting there or whatever, but I remember us all being excited, and we met <laughs> Robbie Williams and Destiny's Aye. Child, right. Craig David. We were just three boys fucking, or four boys laughing at every Correct me if I'm wrong, did we not meet Bradley Walsh outside as well? Who's Bradley Walsh? The guy that does the chase. No, I think it was Robbie Williams we met outside, well, mate. Aye, but there was a, there was a, a guy, a wee, a wee kind of comedian guy with him, and I'm sure it was Bradley Walsh. Aye, I, I just seem to be like a conveyor belt and Hunter's a fucking aye, famous aye. folk. Aye, <laughs> aye, all right, mate. Aye. You all right? Aye. That was, just, that, was, that was the same time you reduced Ian Beale to tears, wasn't it? Aye, that was <laughs> enough fucking stupid thing. Again, nice one, mate. knee deep in fucking... <laughs> heavy, heavy Sundays and EastEnders omnibuses <laughs> and I actually th- thought EastEnders was a real thing and the act so the act, oh, remember all the I remember all the staff uh, EastEnders all the actors come to watch Robbie Williams yeah but we were walking along a corridor and he was walking along and I just seen no the actor I seen Ian Beale and I, and I said to him you snidey wee cunt right to the guys <laughs> right to the actor's face and he just he just looked at us and it was like three steps back I was thinking to myself well, I fucking told him and then I thought what are you fucking doing that's an actor that's a real guy that isn't Ian Beale and see Wait. since then I stopped watching EastEnders I thought that's enough that is enough <laughs> I, <laughs> fantasy reality just collided man I was just like I don't know if was I'm still was it, was it not in the canteen the BBC the, the uh, no, it was a bar, the BBC bar we were sitting in there, uh, and uh, Sonia walked in as well. Uh, we um, we got to leave that bar, didn't we? I was, I'm not proud of that, mate. Uh, Why did you have to go and mention that, man? <laughs> I remember so, being steaming and asking, trying to get free t shirts for us all. You'd probably be <laughs> going up and get his t shirts, Mal. They probably picked out the worst ones just uh, to get his to fuck. I remember being blitzed. And just the guy with the long perm tail, the Geordie guy, just got mate, you want to sort me and my mates out with some t-shirts? <laughs> and he's and he's went and looked at his like his runner guy and he's went, Who is this? And they went, it's fucking whoever public domain they were on the show or something. And they went, get him some t-shirts. And then fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You just go, 
But then I remember no long after that oh, we God. got asked to fucking leave the bar. because uh, it's probably all full of like fucking actors and real celebrities and we're just yeah. in there having yeah, a laugh, just, man. I've just I've remembered Scotsman. I've remembered as well one thing that set us back, not only did we sign I didn't didn't really get to finish this earlier, but we signed it basically for people listening in. We signed a really bad contract and we didn't make, you know, anywhere near as much money as we could have done. But that's lesson learned. We've moved on from that. But yeah. another another little thing that happened that really didn't do us any favours was the fact maybe I shouldn't mention this, but I'm gonna Slinky went ahead and got the track licensed to the Ministry of Sound annual compilation without the actual your your vocals, Mal. We used the original flavor uh-huh. free vocals without the full sample clearance. Yeah. So that, that put us in a really Tricky situation with Public Enemies management yeah. team. So they just, lawyers they just involved. Up, they just pumped up the percentage, the, 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 the publishing percentage. And, well, you messed us about. We would have done it for X amount, but now we're going to do it for Y amount. So we pretty much doubled probably, probably how much we could have. Because we're on good terms with them. You know, I think Billy and the guys at Norton Hill had had a really good deal on the table. And then all of a sudden, Slinky came along, gung ho, messed it up did things they shouldn't have and that, that really got us a bad stinky deal yeah. after that. Chuck so D that was that was, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was another thing that kind of messed things up for us. So I, yeah. Yeah. lessons learned, you know, I ended up making a track called Live and Learn myself in 2004 and that's why I called it Live and Learn because we all, we all lived through those mistakes and we learned from them and it's stuff yeah, we've never absolutely. done since. Whereas yeah. you yeah. may be a bit more savvy with that kind of stuff, Mal, because you've been through it as well. You know, other, uh, other, I wouldn't would say savvy, I think I've just had my fingers burned a couple of times more, uh, but then again, you know, you, you can, if sometimes if it wasn't for them, well, that's other people's mistakes, the slinky thing, that wasn't something you guys went, fuck it, let's just get it on there, that's somebody yeah. else's greed, going, fuck it, just get it on, we're getting the money, no thinking about you guys, and again, no thinking about the artist, thinking about the business. Aye, well, no. from my point of view, the contract that Mark's talking about back then, we I think we got that contract what four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and it was to be back in the morning. Now on that contract, wasn't it just for Blade? There was a six album option on that contract. Yeah. For a twenty-four year old myself back then, when I added that up, that was a million pound contract. I was signing a million pound contract at twenty-four years of age, and I was being told to sign it within a couple of hours. And Mark said me and Bongo, especially Bongo, he put fairness where it lies, Bongo was the one that said we should not be doing this, and I was on the fence, but I was giving it I want that money (laughs) I want that money, I'm set for life, that's it, we've made it but then I'm also giving it well, if we don't get this out in time like Mark says, we're going to lose this race, oh so that that was a deciding factor for me was essentially the race I can remember for me to sign that contract at 24 years old, I mean Moan, you had answer. Aye. I made it, mate. You know, that's it. Done deal. <laughs> no, total shots in the industry, man. Could, like could he says, live <laughs> and learn. You know, couldn't it be further for the truth, right yeah. enough, mate? You know. I remember being at a family wedding in, in air or something like that, and I was at the bar, and some guys who I didn't know, he's come up to his men, I used to run millionaires now. Aye. I was like, ah. oh, here we go. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I used to run millionaires with that, that Operation Blade track. And I went, what, 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 where's, where's what? this coming from? He goes, I, uh, 
I'm mates with Ali. He tells us, oh, he's a signed million pound record contracts. Ah, <laughs> 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 right, that's right, mate. I, I'll get. I'll tell you right. what. I'll get the fucking next round, then, will I? <laughs> I, I can remember standing. My, my dad opened up his office at night time for us so we could get in fax because we didn't have an access, any access to another fax machine. And I can remember shaking like a leaf, just feeding it into the fax machines. You know, boys, uh, should we do this? We're doing it. Yes, yeah. we And it was just like, you know, letting go of that bit of paper, just watching it get into the machine. It was like so many mixed emotions, you know. I, I probably knew in my heart that maybe we were doing the wrong thing. But at the yeah. same time, I thought, well, we're not we, going we to know until we've done it. Uh, uh, we, we had to. We had to. It's simple. I still, we had to. I, I still firmly believe there was no alternative at that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's... I, I would probably say differently. Take away the take away the business. Everything else is great because straight away, again, all the all the gigs offers are coming in, and I remember, you know, the discussions we had about how do we do the gig king, and again, just in my end, I was adamant that we just didn't go into that PA kind of set up and yeah. we try to become a live band yeah, and yeah, a wee yeah, bit absolutely. more credibility than the rave thing that yeah. happened before. Yeah. Live then, keys, live vocals, yeah, and then. We were quite quickly was it a gatecrasher thing or first ever gig? That was our first ever live show. Yeah, I man. remember it was like boom. It was even like a wee. When was that? The NEC. The, uh, NEC. Two thousand or two thousand one or something. Uh, two thousand one. I think it was two thousand. I think it was two thousand. No, it was two thousand one. Two thousand because Bleed came out in December two thousand. Obviously, yesterday was the twentieth anniversary. So that was the third. Yeah. That was top top of the pops. Was the third December. I think Bladed came out what the week before James or something. End of November. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Was it maybe the fifth? Maybe even the fifth. Fifth of November or something. November. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Fifth of November. Um, so then, I then he see it was two thousand and one, maybe like May or something, April or May. I think remember. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. No, that what was a gig, man. I went out and Rapture TV, and you know, I, uh-huh. I, I, I can remember it was such a crazy time. So I'd wake, I'd maybe come in from my gig and all my pals and folk would start messages in my phone saying, oh, we're, we're sitting watching you at a house party, you're on any, the, the Rapture TV just now, and then maybe I'd come in and maybe I'd just had a normal night and I'd wake up the next morning at like 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and be all these messages from mates saying, oh, you, you're on Rapture TV, and it was just uh-huh. it was such a, 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 an amazing time. For a, for a first yep. gig as well, that was like something yep. else, wasn't it? Right. Absolutely, um, man. Aye. I can't. Was it Scott? Scott Bond was on before us. I can't remember whatever the, you know. But it was like a solid kind of big gatecrasher lineup, and then yep. boom, we're right in the middle of it. Yep. Yeah. If I've got a regret from that, it was I remember us all. I think we were waiting to go on, and we were all at the kind of corridors at the side, and Jules was coming up to go into the decks. And we were all saying, maybe we should go cheers, mate, or whatever. But I don't know if it was nerves or whatever. And he's came up. You remember this? And we all busted laughing. we all laughing. started laughing, yeah. And I don't I think just, that was Gatecrasher. Was it? No, was that someone else? I, and I just remember so. I thinking, think that was a slinky gig. Was it? I you might be so, right. You might be right. I think I think you're, you're bang on the money. We're all giving it. We should really say should thanks for him for trying and tested. All the support he's gave us, and everyone is bust out like silly wee schoolboys. Aye, that's what it was. That snidey laugh. It was just you know, <laughs> nerves. Stage fright. Stage fright. Bit of nerves. Aye. Yeah. Just didn't know what to say. Yeah. Because yeah, obviously he helped you guys with the original to, to blow up. And then another thing yeah. as well, which I think worked in the track's favour, is everybody thinks that's the track that was in the actual film. Because I know a lot of I people, because the, the, the pump panel mix was a really obscure underground acid track. Yeah. But people yep. think it was Operation Blade that was in the film, which again, added to the hype and the, 
this big ball of public domain, I think, at the time, no? That yeah. the kudos of we were in a film. I, I don't even think back then I had the heart to tell somebody not it's no you know, the story. You just kinda went, I cheers. It's oh. like, there's one thing that I do feel bad about and I, I, I don't know if the guys will ever get to see this but I do feel really bad about the fact that for people who don't really know how it works the pump panel guys were paid to do a remix of the track New Order Confusion now there is no track in New Order Confusion there's nothing like the pump panel the pump panel is like a standalone track even though it's a remix it was like a standalone yep. banging underground acid track so they, they get paid X amount for doing the remix and then that's it, job done. But because we sampled the Pump Panel remix, they didn't get any money for that. No, it's New Order. Yeah. New Order. New Order get all the publishing for that. It, yeah. I'm just, I know you guys know this, but I'm just explaining to the people that are watching this. So the Pump Panel guys get nothing because they, yeah. get, they get their remix fee. They don't have any attachment. There's, there's no contract yeah. between them. They get nothing. And I actually feel really bad about that because we didn't sample anything by New Order. We sampled yeah. the pump panel units. Yeah. So that's, that's just the way the industry works. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, I don't know. Did they maybe get points on cash? Did they get any points on cash? I don't even know because I can remember John Carmel saying to us that, you know, the guy, because he was, and obviously he kind of organised the distribution of missile records and the pump panel guys. I don't even know. If, was that the label? Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, a lot of yeah. stuff to do with missile. And I remember John's, you know, the guys, you know, I can't remember his name, but the guy from pump panel is pretty much not talking to me now. And he's, you know, he's a, it's a really sore subject kind of thing. It's, it's never sat well with me that, you know. Yeah. You know, that's that, sampling that's, in the nature of the beast, isn't it? Aye. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, look. So, we've quite quickly put a band together. We're touring. There's all the PAs, like as in your Pepsi chart shows. Your, of that commercial, Hurricane, there's no, there's just wee kind of blurs that kind of stick out, you know. Us being in London, and then you're you're, you're there, and then, but there there was interspersed with all that cracking gigs, no actual playing in raves, uh, which were which Go were amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I remember them being in amongst with the, obviously the commercial obligations that we all had today. There was some amazing Australia, like St Petersburg. Yeah, so yeah. It was, it, yeah. It was just a great fucking solid time on the road. Yeah. Was that run about the time when was the album? It was just in between times when we were all trying to finish the album as well. Was because it was it was all quite tight in a space of time. It was I? Um, I think you're probably right enough. I think the album was being done between touring, um, or when at least we were home. Um, but yeah, I think it was around about the same time. Because you're right, the, the the time scale for. That all that public domain thing was all quite condensed, you know. It was bang, 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 bang. It was non stop. Alex called at his best, gave us six weeks to make an album. Yeah, yeah, six weeks, not even two months, three months, six months, six weeks. He said, Guys, you know, Blade's gonna come out and rock the funky beats. So, release your two big singles and the albums. uh, So, let me clear my throat. Too many MCs, so that's 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 how it works. He released three singles and bang, you release the album. So in that six weeks, we went to Australia, we went to St. Petersburg in Russia, we did Ibiza, a week in Ibiza, you know, all, all, this, all this stuff. This is within did. the first and six weeks? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. Right. I, can't, I can't think otherwise, I can't think, I don't, I, in my head, I don't know how else it could have worked. Yeah. Because I remember yeah. Alex putting the pressure on us and it's got to be, we've got to follow up three singles and bang, the album's got to be finished and we're like, what? No, and yeah. then, then, that's, then that's when we spoke to you and Davey. 
So look guys, we've, we've got a chance of getting a good album deal here. We've got a few tracks written. You know, you, I think it was you, Mal, you said as well, me and David actually, I think because you've seen the Blade, I'm, I'm not saying you, copy, you didn't copy Blade, but that whole hard trance, acid hard trance thing was kicking off. You and David had done a few tracks in that style that could easily fit under the public domain umbrella. Yeah, I think it was through the, through the Ilka thing again. Through Ilka. Yeah, yeah, because the Watt Brothers doing stuff like that, he does doing stuff like that, he's Picotto doing his hard kind of walk walk bass kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, there's a few tracks sitting there in that style, and that's when we like, combined it all. We did six tracks in the album, and you guys did four. You know, so that I think we did manage to pull it out of the bag a lot quicker than we could have done normally. Because of what, with the two studios? Made. So I think yeah. that's how we managed it, man. Check this out.
Second single, Rock Funky Beats. Did you have a demo of that kicking about, or was that just straight in for scratch? We need to do a second single, boys. What's what, how you how's doing that? I think it happened pretty quickly, James. I didn't it because we just used the same kind of template for blades, and we just yeah, obviously yeah, some you know. similar bass line, similar drums. Um, again, you brought an adapte with more public enemy samples on it, and yeah. that's where the, the original vocals came from. We cut them up, sampled them, yeah. and started jamming it out, man. And, and again, Rock with Funky Beats came fairly quickly. Yeah, you know, um, we had the, the bones and the basic foundation of the track done within a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and feeling any pressure? Off. Sorry, James. Um, feeling any pressure? We following up Blade, which was fucking massive. Is that sitting on your shoulders, or is you just going? We need to get this done. I don't. I don't for, think. Sorry, Mark. For me, it wasn't. It wasn't something I thought about. Um, you know, it was a case of right. Well, that, this is what I do now. This is my work. I need to work at my work, you know. Um, back then, we were doing long, long hours in the studio. Um, all nighters and at that point, we had we had already started to have issues with the, with the fourth band member, you know. Um, it was it, it was me and Mark that was carrying a lot of the a lot of the work schedule that was in there, um, which didn't help matters at all for 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 both my sanity or his, you know. Um, so there was a there, there was a few wee things going on in the background. We, we, if I'm honest, that that that's when for me I, I saw the things start to implode between what had happened, um, you know, um, um, between Bongo and things, you know. Staying positive and just, we just knew we had to have a strong follow up, and we knew like just from even just from my previous experience when we've seen how people do follow ups to tracks, you know, like. You could name a million guys, you know, that have released a track, and then when the second track comes out, it's quite it's different, but it's quite similar. That's what the record labels would always tell you. You've got to have a follow-up single that's quite similar to Blade. So we just we thought, right, okay, well we can do that. We've got the, we'll just use the same kick, the same bass, same snare. We'll change the melody, different vocals, but keep the same kind of ethos as Blade, and just change it up a bit. And that's so it did come together really quickly, pretty fast. Um, and then. Aye, but I don't. When you're saying about worrying about it, Mal, I don't think we'd had. I don't think we'd time to worry about it. It was just something we knew no. we had to do. I, I suppose if we sat down and kind of dwelled, it, dwelled on it and thought, "Oh man, you know, can we can we make something as big as Blade?" I would probably would have fell to pieces. But the nerves, we'd only been in the scene for. I don't think we'd been in that kind of industry long enough to let it affect us. We just thought, "Right, okay, boys, let's do it." We've just aye. got to smash yeah, let's through. Let's just get cracked on, man. Aye. Like yep. you were saying, Mark, with that, yep. just let's. That whirlpool can I get her in? The, you're not even got a minute to sit back and think. 
It's just the next thing and the next thing, because you're coming, you're not even decompressing after a fucking mad tour. You're just straight in, we need to get into the studio because this is needs to be yeah. done now. And then I remember as well, there was loads of remixes we were all doing left, right and centre. They kept coming in. Aye. And, and in yeah. many ways, that was like helping fund us because there wasn't any record royalties coming in. I don't even know, there wasn't even any money for gigs. Like, top of the pops, we get the £200 check. But it was all pretty yeah. much all right, they were paying for the flights or whatever, but we weren't walking away with a gig wage. It was all promotional, wasn't it? No. So yeah, things yeah. like remixes. A lot, a lot, a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I remember we, we got an advance from Extravaganza for the, the singles and then, you know, we got an advance from our publishers and stuff, but I so that, that was good to get that at the time. But I, as I said, Mal, the, the, the money that was good was the remix fees and <clears throat> we, were, we, did, we did get paid for a few gigs, but I mean, there's a lot, a lot of other stuff that I could go into that I ended up having yeah. to do. Are you ended up in a lot of debt and all that in your cards. <laughs> I wasn't going to get into that, but I, I, I but just I, that's I, what I'm seeing with the dance tapes you're sending away and everything else. Aye. Well, without getting into it all, one example I can tell everybody is that I basically had to buy flights to Russia for all of us on my credit card. I, mean, I was even aware of that until you told us. That, right? So that that yeah. really, that up that heavily upset me for for a couple of years. You know, it took me a while to yeah. get to get that Fuck sorted out. You know, so that, that's just that's just a small snippet of. Welcome to fucking the dancing, you know, welcome to the, the, yeah. the, the industry, you know, so yeah. it, it doesn't exactly welcome you with open arms, it, it swallows you up and spits you out the other side, but if, so, I, we could, we could all sit here and cry over it, but it, it, made, our, it, made, it made our careers, it gave us so many opportunities, we ticked so many boxes, you know, we've done so many more things than a lot of other guys at our age at that point in our, our lives, and for us, to, for us to look back in a better way, just, it's, it, we can't, you know, the, 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 good, the good times majorly outweigh the bad times, and we just have to laugh at it, look back I, and laugh at it before we lose our Yeah, man. That, that, yeah, you could lose yourself in it, man, you know. And to be fair, one of us kind of did, you know, he couldn't deal with it, and it, it just didn't work for him. Um, I wasn't going down that road, you know, there's no point dwelling on what's happened, it's happened. I, but, um, I, I, but you're right, Mark, we had, we had a lot more good times than we did bad, mate, you know, and it's them that I remember, um, not the bad, you know. We've got some good stories to tell our grandkids, then. You've got to focus on the, on, on the good times, but again, when I'm looking at it now, especially when I'm looking at it, looking at it for, in hindsight now, uh, obviously, Hunters are brilliant times, but then there's like mad shit happening. Like, I remember, was it in Russia where you took Noel James and they were trying to take like a mad a kidney half of you or something, something sketchy oh, going on. Mate, honestly, man. Oh, it just, like, it was just like fucking insanity was going on. Privilege, didn't we? We did privilege in Ibiza. Um, we had to leave the stage and straight to the airport 6 a.m. in the morning to get flights to Russia. At this point, I wasn't feeling 100%, but I'm giving it, I'm just tired. I've no slept, I've just come off stage. We're on the next flight to get to the next country to do the next show. That's how that, That's how we do it. You know? I, I don't even remember um, getting yeah. to Ibiza to Russia. That's how bad I was. <laughs> right, well, there you go. Um, actually, yeah, because I remember having to take the microphone off you in, in privilege because you're on the on the mic giving it a shibaraboo. What are you doing, man? Uh, they just me with that, that, mad, that drink, that oh. mad drink. Crazy. Um, but yeah, on the, on the flight to Russia, I'm all right. Gets to Russia, uh, gets checked into the hotel, um, and then we go look at the gig. Get set up. What a gig! That fort in the middle of the water. Had to get a boat out there. 
Um, did the show, boat back in the morning, the wee, the, the wee the guy sitting next to the generator, and remember him? He was white when we I went am. in there, but in the morning when we left, he was jet black and he took his goggles off. Ah, it was just the white eyes. The white rings because he's sitting next to that generator all night. It was a big, uh, that must have been healthy. It was a World War II submarine generator that yeah. the whole sound system and in that island. The full, the full yeah. gig. James, what, um, what was the thing you had at McDonald's? Was that a McPink burger or something? Some kind of mix? No, that was Jimmy, man. So after, after the gig, um, we went and got some sleep. Then the next day, we went and got some food. Um, and Jimmy ordered our tour manager at the time had ordered a McPike burger. Um, I couldn't eat my food. I was feeling terrible at that point. Um, I, I, to cut a long story short, I took food poisoning or some kind of gastro thing. Um, Jimmy got me back to the hotel and the hotel doctor came up and she was a girl and she's poking about my tummy as doctors do. And she digs her nails right in and I, I scream in pain. And she goes, it's his appendix. Um, $20,000 aftercare. And I'm holding the bed, giving it, Jimmy, don't you let these bastards cut me, you get me home. You know? Um, so Jimmy's like, no, I need I need a second opinion. So he got the hotel to contact a clinic. They sent a doctor round and the doctor went, I think he may be, may be suffering food poisoning. So I ended up going to the clinic. I spent the, the whole night in the clinic. I was flying out to Ibiza the next day again. Um, I think we were in a doctors. We were a raving in a in a, in a CD bar. Aye, I'll come to that in a minute. I'll come to that in a minute. I'll get to that as I'm lying in a bed in a hospital, shitting myself and puking everywhere. The boys are away to a club. <laughs> right, I'm all hooked up to machines, needles in my arms. Right, and I'm giving it. I need to get better. I need to fly out of here tomorrow. Right, so anyway, cut a long story again. I gets out and we get back to Ibiza. And my message is going at you doing a strip club. Oh, I'm sorry, Hen. Wait a minute. She's like, I've heard all the excuses. This is enough. Aye, absolutely. Aye, right, aye, no bother, Alan. Whatever you say. Aye, name for you. You know. Um, so aye, but um. You know, the, the, the gig in Russia, it was amazing. Even the point you swallow on that fly on stage. Well, I seen the shoes running to the back of the stage, pointing and giving him his hands here. Look at flies. The deck's going in fire as well with the fireworks going on. <laughs> the tour manager having to climb the fucking frame with a fire extinguisher. You can see all the, all, the, all the clubbers on the dance floor gradually moving away from me. They're like, what's going on here? What, what's going on here? Somebody talks like, Fire! 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 I had on, and when I get back for that gig, there was big uh, plastic dripper burns doing the back of my jeans and the back of my t-shirt. <laughs> for whatever was fucking <laughs> melting for the... I, I was landing on the decks, the, the vinyl, I've, I've still got the old vinyl, the little, the, the, it was a molten plastic, it was just uh-huh. over the turntable yep, and the mix yep. and stuff, all in my arms and all, oh, it was yep. horrendous. Metal. Health and safety in that gig would not, if that was in this country, no way would that, would that would went ahead. There was no toilets. I remember going upstairs, a kind of iron um, spiral staircase, no banister. There's still um, missing. Aye, with aye, tape, with tape missing. and all that, aye. Yeah, tape over it, and, and I found what I thought was a doorway, and I'm busting for a pee, I need to go for a pee. So I get in there, I do a pee, <laughs> finish, I'm zipping up, and the next thing I get this hand on my shoulder and pulled back through the door. 
and it was the security guard and he shined his torch down and it must have been a two-story drop if I took another step back because I was peeing in mid-air you know um, and I'm giving it holy shit what is going on with this you know but the, the gig itself I mean it was total fort boyard on that boat out into the middle of the water the, the people the, the clubbers that were there it was just the atmosphere was amazing you know it was it's one of the gigs for me that um, it makes me smile when I think about it. Despite me taking not well, despite me nearly dropping to my death, you know, it was, it's one of the ones where it makes me smile, man. You know. I remember all the expensive vodkas we were drinking. Remember the guys were like, "Check this out!" It was like the vodkas and the caviar. And I yeah, remember, I'm not a vodka drinker, but I remember drinking this stuff, going, "I could, I could drink this." And then they were telling That's us it was like that. crazy prices, kind of stuff. And we were just yeah. like, "Fucking, I give a bit of that." And then the caviar, <laughs> I mean, and I'm not into that, mate. And it's like fucking. 15 million pound a fucking teaspoon or something. <laughs> I just remember that I remember he's going through customs in the, the airport and the guy, this big Russian security guy was looking at us and he got the big massive flight cases with the big red, remember the big red flight cases? Yeah, man. Yeah, massive, massive They're looking us up and down. <laughs> Did he, was it, the promoter paid them after, you know, he gave them some money so we get through aye. the customs aye. quicker. Aye. Fucking aye. hell, man. So then, if I, I, I don't know if it was right or wrong, but I did hear it was a, a mafia-run gig, it's Russian mafia. But I wouldn't be surprised, that, man. I just, I just, I just remember hearing hey, that. Cut, cut, cut um, the video. Right. <laughs> and then another one that sticks out is I thought the Australian tour we done was amazing. And then bizarrely, again, Mark, you can talk about this. Nine uh, Eleven started, and we were coming back for a snowboarding trip. All crashed Mount out Bula. in the van. Fort Buller. What was it? Buller? No, Mount, Mount, Mount Buller. In, Mel- in Melbourne, just outside Melbourne. And you've just fucking woke aye, so, up. Aye, so basically, we've been snowboarding all day, completely trashed, knackered, and Jimmy's driving the minibus back to the hotel. He all crashed out in the back the back, back of the, the, the bus, just totally passed out. Yeah. And you know sometimes you just get a fright in your sleep and you just, you bang, you wake up. And like, I just... I dreamt this massive explosion and I shot myself and I woke up like, I, I think I was sitting in the middle at the back between you and Jamesy or uh, Alistair. I remember just sitting for oh! and, and <laughs> you know, we all sitting <laughs> next to you. Aye, because we all jumped on. So I don't know, I just, I just saw this big massive explosion in my dreams and it just woke me up. And then long story short, back to the hotel, I was sharing a room with you, Mal. You went to the toilet, I turned on the TV, sat down in the bed and I saw the, two, the twin towers and TV burning. Yeah. And, it, and it said in the top corner that it, it wasn't live, but it was like 25 minutes ago or 30 minutes ago. And that, when I had that dream, that was 30 minutes ago. So that, yeah. that explosion that I saw in my dream, ha- it honestly happened at the exact same time of the explosion in, in New York. That's cosmic. I, I know, I know, it's, I know it's not like, you know, it's, it's Weird, not man. connected in any way, but it was just still really freaking out at the thing. The full thing was, was surreal because I remember being in the toilet and you know that way with real fear you can hear in somebody's voice and I remember you saying Mal, Mal, you need to come here and no that's if it was anyone, like, I need ball, five minutes or whatever but you're going to go and I remember coming into the room and you were sitting at the bottom of the bed just like staring at the TV and I remember looking at the TV and then looking back at you thinking you were watching a film or something and going, yeah. what is it? and you were like, look, this Look at that! I don't even think you could articulate what was going on, and then then yeah. I've kind of watched it, and then thinking World War Three's broke out and we're in Australia. Yeah. And uh, I remember that, that's when yeah. you realise how far away from home we were. You know, that, yeah. The first thing you think is World War Three. Second of all, 
holy shit, we are five, six thousand miles away from home. It's like ten, yep. ten thousand yep. miles or something. And I think we're all Scary, phoning man. back home. Just, just they're checking in, and us, we're checking in the name. And then the next thing I remember is Jimmy, the tour manager, <laughs> banging the doors, going, "Right, boys, I've got all your family's <laughs> tickets to come here." And I was going, come here, I want to fucking go home. What are you talking about? And he was like, don't worry, this is the safest place we can be. We'll get our family to Australia. Don't worry, we'll be safe here. And I'm going, fucking, is this guy mad? I knew he was mad, but I was just going, he is mad. <laughs> and just that fucking, like you're saying, you knew how far away you were. And it was, it was fucking insanity. And the, and the next, the next day, we flew the very next day. Can you remember that? It was the very yeah, next day. They hadn't closed the airport. Like Sydney or something. Yeah. Aye, no, we flew to Perth, didn't we? Yeah. And, Is that right? Yeah. And the fear, you could cut with a knife the atmosphere on the flight because everybody Aye. was fucking... And the airport's petrified. Uh, and yep. if anybody got out of their chair, remember? Everybody was fucking... It was a horrible, horrible time. I remember this. I'm not a good watching, flyer. Right. Everybody's moving. Plane, checking them out, looking them up and down. You know, is this guy dodgy? Is that guy dodgy? Yeah, yep. really yep. checking, yep. checking out the situation. It was, it was fucking horrible. And then we'd done some mad TV show the next day, and I, I, I remember just re really been really down with holy, f what the fuck's going on? We're in Australia, yeah. but you're still caught up in this mad whirlwind. And and I, and I actually remember they were interviewing, and I heard one guy say to the other guy. The, the, watch the singer guy he's, he's, he's a bit moody or something and I was thinking fucking moody do you any idea what the fuck's going on in the world do now and we're yeah, sitting doing a kids TV well, show aye. and it was well, almost like John just yeah. I, I was just yeah. kind of like you know I must have been like what the fuck's fucking going on but we're in this whirlwind and they're still fucking TV land like hey hey what's going on and I just remember it being the most surrealist thing fucking had been involved in you know like doing a tv show and the fucking as far as i was concerned we were in world war three but we we're still it was fucking insane man absolutely absolutely you know yeah. great fantastic gigs but uh you know <laughs> well i just I'd, I'd, I'd just like to actually go back to the start of that tour because on the run up to that tour we had what two three gigs before we flew out and um, on the, the last gig, we had two, two gigs in one night, and on the last gig, we were on the tour bus, and we all got smashed. Do you remember the bottle of Absolute, Mark? Yes. That's the drunkest um, I've ever seen, Mark, in my entire <laughs> life. And the very little half can of cola or something. I, I, I tell you, I'm going to bump sure. a can of Pepsi, and he was calling me a was shite that? bag, because I wouldn't drink Brilliant. a bottle of water drink with a can of Pepsi. <laughs> I was like, Mark, that's fucking mental. Shite bag, you're a fucking shite bag. Brilliant. So... We've, uh, we've just come off stage, we're in the tour bus, getting smashed on the way back to the studio farm place that we stayed in London before we fly out to Australia the next day. Mark crashes out on the bus. And uh, before he does that, he starts to be sick. And uh, Jimmy, the tour manager, um, gets his fingers into Mark's mouth and tries to clear his throat where Mark proceeds to bite him rather hard <laughs> on the finger. <laughs> you know, giving him what are you doing, Mark? I was vodka coma. <laughs> I just felt this feeling of somebody trying to choke me. I just woke up and like, ah! <laughs> brilliant. Right. Absolute brilliant, right? So he gets back to the studio farm. Mark's crashed out in the bus. Couldn't get him waiting. So Jimmy, Jimmy <laughs> goes and gets him some blankets. 
covers him up on the bus, shuts the door, we all head to bed. <laughs> Next morning, we get up, we're all sitting at breakfast. Beautiful farmhouse breakfast, man. Massive fryer. <laughs> and uh, somebody goes, where's Mark? <laughs> Just at that point, the farm door, you know, no, he was in the windy. The farm door He's opens up. He's in the windy. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the windy first place, right? And then the door opens up. And then comes Mark. Face, red raw, <laughs> soaking wet. Because he had woke up in the bus, skiing it. Where am I? Owned up the bus doors and fell out the bus. <laughs> broke through a ditch. Been through nettles, jaggies, you name it. I, I, I and then a, staggered up I, to the fence. Ended, ended up in a stream. I woke up <laughs> in a bus. Didn't, didn't know where I was. Freezing cold. Sickness all over my duvet. That, uh, to wrap my duvet, with this cover, blanket, whatever it was, Jimmy put on me, stepped off the bus, stood in the duvet, tripped, did a somersault, <laughs> off the bus, landed in the ground, banged my head, banged my arm, rolled forward, rolled down an embankment into a river, and stung, and stung myself in nettles, falling down the embankment down the side of my face. <laughs> and then I walked past, walked past the window. Feel like after death, having a wee, a wee bacon and sausage and eggs and stuff. <laughs> it was a pure lifesaver fry up as well because we were all rough as toast and you at the window like use a root order. <laughs> we, all, we, all, we, all, we all took our turns and getting trashed. That, that was my night of getting trashed. And that, that, was just, that was that was the worst trip to Australia ever because it was it was a, a first time to Australia. Sitting in that flight, I think I slept most of the weeks. I was so hungover. Yeah. Oh man. No, you, you ate noodles I mean, all the way uh, yesterday. No, I woke it, up. I woke oh. up because I'd missed my dinner. I'd slept through my dinner. You'd all had your dinner on the flight, and I woke up starving on the middle of the night, and I ended up like, getting noodles. I just remember looking at the seat, looking at it, and you're just munching these noodles. And like, we need Chinese noodles in our face. <laughs> <laughs> the face all clawed with the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> yeah, oh, that was good times, mad, man. Good times. I just had to, I had to tell that story because <laughs> it's, it's really the one that sticks. My first tour to Australia with you boys, you know, and getting there was an absolute just case of hilarity. You know, yeah. it was amazing. Thank you for that, the both of you, man. Well, was, I mean, did we, we no fly first class or something like that? Right, well, that's another thing we didn't realise. First class tickets came out of us. Aye, it would be easy. Yeah, thanks for so, that. Right was that no Jimmy's fault? Like, uh, no, well, probably, but right away that was like 25 grand less we got. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> I know. For the first tour, red deficit. No, no happening. But was yeah, that no... That's, that, that just shows you how naive we are. The promoters on the phone said, do you guys want to travel first class? I'm like, yeah, fucking right. And then the what next guy? thing, you know, then they get the, break, the breakdown after the tour. Like, Hold on a minute, boys. We've actually been for these first class. Was there no some kind of sketch where whatever it was he's went it's only three grand to bump you up to first class and Jimmy's went oh, that sounds great but what it was <laughs> it was three grand each instead of three aye. grand in total or something and it aye, just fucking put fucking the, grand put the fucking Wait things through it, the roof yeah. Wait to it because I, I, I think we were away for a while and I remember coming back with no money and having bills to pay and I was yeah. like fuck me how, how can I pay for my flat <laughs> I, I, I can, do you know something I can remember my phone bill being like 800 quid when we got back from that tour because it, it was yeah. a full month it was a month me four, well, four week yeah. tour seven, seven gigs over four weekends and I yeah. could come back to all these big bills and I'm like Jesus man madness I know, I know. absolutely and like you say no way to pay them either right. <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous um, I think the Australia one or not it might have been after the the 9-11 thing when 
we done the sound check and I smashed everything up. And then the guy went, what that the fuck Germany, you doing? Mate. Was, was it No, but I remember, I thought it was, because he went, what are you doing? That's just a sound check. And I had absolutely fucking no idea what was going on. <laughs> and it was, it was actually... Was actually being recorded, I, don't, I, I don't know what... You know, I don't even think we were drinking in fact, much. In fact, it, it was, was it not Gran Canaria, James, or Spain that, that Mal crashed the stage? And, and we had to get out of the place really, girl, really quickly. The girl was in the corridor right. shouting at you and Jimmy, saying, oh, what, what's it's the TV show. Doing? Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing is, as well, the keyboard was about 80 years old. It's a, yep. ancient, it's like a fucking piece of history. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I kind of cringe a wee bit when I think about all the destruction and smashing things up. But I kind of know why I've done it new. You know, I'm probably working out loads of mad shit for the Sonic, for the Bikini State thing that collapsed. And, you know, I, I probably just had a... I, I'm I just working out... A, I think it's a defence mechanism. I think you're maybe... The camera's on you. You're maybe knackered, you're tired, you're a bit frustrated about how... Because I know, I know behind, behind four walls, you're quite a... No, I wouldn't say you're a quiet guy, but you're not, you're not a... A show off or an exhibitionist, or you know that. But, but as soon as you're on stage, I think I'm the same. You, you kind of feel as if you've maybe got to take on a different persona, uh-huh. and, 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 and your way of dealing with the way you are is just by going <laughs> 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 and smashing shit up. You know, it's not. It's not oh, well, I, I, I I'm just going to jump in. I'm just going to jump in and say when you say smashing shit up, Marky, it was mostly my side event for me. I was a Muppet stoning there with no keyboards in front of me giving it what do you do now? I'll start dancing, right? Okay. Uh, no, mow, mow, fuck off, mow, mow. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the dance star awards, I think Mal's pulling your keyboard across the stage, James, and you're still trying to kick him at the same time. You know, it takes, yeah, a, it takes a massive right. amount of talent not to drop a key and try and kick somebody while your keys are being moved, I'll tell you. That, you know, at, at that award um, thing, did they not just put us in a green room for hours and we just get steaming before it or something? I think it was a show in general. Aye, because just remember, like, there's obviously everybody just sees like, uh, when we're doing like the commercial shows, like the TV shows, and like, the five minutes on stage, but there's a yeah. hell of a lot of waiting about once you've got Absolutely, there, done your sound yeah. checking. Well, and actually, you're going to have a booze up. You can understand why a lot of people end up alcoholic <laughs> because of these <laughs> <laughs> if that's all it is to do, you get so I much know. time in your hands and you get the five star treatment, you know, all, all it is is green rooms and riders and booze, and it, it's just crazy things, you know. But yeah. you, can, yeah. you can really understand how people can just end up, you know, getting in a really get bad lost. state. Aye, it's, it's easy done, you know. I, the, was it the Dance Star one? Was, was that the awards thing where I jumped on the tables? Aye. Because yeah. I, remember, I remember them saying, you know, that's the record label table if you wanted to go up there and fucking make a wee vibe. And I and I think, I, I, I don't know if I, I... Actually, I wasn't thinking. I ran over a table to get to the table. <laughs> so there was like two tables and I, I can't remember what DJ it was that tried to grab us. And, and I just went like that to kind of get his horn off me and I've took him out half his chair right down onto the ground and everything and then it was that I thought and that was on my way back to the stage and I thought I fucking maybe went a bit mental but I should have went oh sorry mate you know I've just kind of went to try and get up on stage in time for the end of the song and pulled yeah. this guy clean him and his chair right to the deck man smash glass everywhere fucking hell man Good times, but you know, good times. It was, I mean, it was the record label that set that up, though, wasn't it? They, they, they had arranged for a because that, that was their table. That. Was that not the table with Billy? Aye. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yep. 
know the table before it. They didn't know <laughs> what the fuck was going on. No, no, that wasn't a reinforced table. It was just a record label table that was reinforced. Like. You can actually hear smashing glass in the video of that as well. I know. I'm going, I know. Fucking hell, man. Chuck D and Professor Griff, are you ready to rock the beats? Are you ready to rock the beats with a public domain? Shit, one, two, one, two. One, two, one, two, yeah. Everybody put your hands up like this and wave from side to side. One, two. One, 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 two. Albums came out. I remember, when I first uh, met these guys, you know, right? 
I, I personally, again, maybe that's just a defence mechanism, but laughing at the, I think it was Mixed Mag, it was like Slate and the album, and I remember you specifically, Mark, been really gutted kind of thing, and I was just like, listen, any press is good press, I don't care what anybody says, and so the album's coming out. Was that, I don't, I'm trying to try, did you feel like the, the, the sort of big explosion or the bubble had burst by like maybe like three singles in the albums out. I, I'm talking about the commercial success. Had you ever any kind of feeling of fucking how are we going to get out of this or that it's, how do we how do we keep going kind of thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because it's you know getting number four in the charts and I think we just we realised that I, I don't think it was really, <clears throat> it wasn't really anything to do with what we were doing. That whole as as you know, our music became pop music, chat music at the time. I, I hate that term, but it did, you know, we never, we never intended it to happen, but it did happen. And then the next style of music comes along and that kind of harder dance thing that we did fades away. And it's just, it's part of the, the waves. Yeah. It happens in dance music all the time. You know, so we, we rode the wave, we, we did everything we could. And we just, I suppose after the time we realised, well, okay, our stuff's back to being club music again. Which, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think James will agree with me. We, 100%. We, we never, we weren't bothered about it. It was, we, we were back to doing what we love doing. We Just back doing to producing dance we, records. We weren't doing interviews that we didn't want to do. We weren't spending our lives on the road. We we're doing back and maybe, well, I suppose I have been travelling and stuff. James did a lot of gigs as well. You know, we're, we're still all gigging. But at the time, we just thought, well, okay, that's, we, we did what we did. Now we just yeah. need to, you know, re readapt, re reshuffle things and, just keep keep on doing what we're doing, and that's that's what the three of us have always done. We've always made music, and that's that will never change. That that yep. was the, that's what we've, we decided to do back in the day, and that's that's where our, our passion lies, you know. So I still wouldn't have done anything different back then. I'm still glad that we, we, in yep. some ways I'm glad that me personally I made the mistakes that I made. I'm glad that I made them early on in the, my career back in the day, so that I could learn from them. And, Move, move, and grows a person, grows a, a DJ and a producer, same as same as you guys have as well. You know, yeah. so I think it's just what what happened is what happens to most pop acts or, or popular popular bands or DJs, whatever. You have your time, you do it, and then you move on to something else. Because on the full, you know, the full uh, full <laughs> journey. You know, I, I don't know. I think it was maybe two thousand and three when I had felt like. I've not really got any mere to gee, and I wanted to focus on my own stuff and the labels that I was running. And through it all, you know, it was amazing. And, and, I, and I actually think about yourself, James, and Ali going, that was some blast. But then for you guys, feel it, no, no even done anything in dance music to then fucking smash. The first single you put out is like a fucking global smash. There was no warm up, there was no fucking, no. Uh, what do you call this, stabilizers? It was just fucking yeah. yeah, smash. To the top. Bigger to the top than any success any of have ever experienced, but for you and Ali, it was like fucking, that's first record and then fucking whack. <laughs> like I said earlier on, man, that contract was a million quid when I was 24, mm. you know? Um, what are you going to do? He's a, he's a pen, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just kind of as simple as that, but you're right, that, that, that was my big, first big taste as a producer, if you like, rather than being the raver, you know, um, and it was, for me, starting at the top rung, you know, and when you start at the top, 
you, you had a state of toe when you started sliding down, you know. And I, for me, it did feel like I was I was sliding down a little bit, you know. Um, but like Matt says, um, Operation Blade was never supposed to be a top five pop song. It was never that. It was never that, you know. It was designed for the clubs. It was written for the clubbers by clubbers. And that was, it took me a wee while to learn that and realise that myself, but that's what I, where I went back to. Um, you know, so Mark's right, we just started writing music for the clubs and the underground again, and, and that's what we're doing, you know? See, the end of the day, you know, it's, it really put things into perspective back in the day. The way our class is having made it now is the fact that we're all doing music and making a living from it. You've made yeah. it if you make a living from yeah. it. No matter yeah. what level you're at of success, if your if your full time job is music and you're paying your mortgage and you're buying food and supporting your family, that's my definition of made it. Now yeah. right? I don't I don't care what level I'm at these days. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy if my bills are getting paid and uh, I've got a roof over my head. You know, and I think that's the way you have to gauge it these days. Uh-huh. And that's absolutely the, the fact that we were making a lot of money back in the day. You you lose it just as quickly. You know. It's, it was it was never going to be a stable thing. You get all sorts of things chucked at you, big checks, remix fees, advances. But what you don't realise is that a lot of the stuff you're getting, you're getting, you're actually paying for. You know the limos, the gigs, the limos to the the radio interviews. You're, you're all paying that when you're signed to a big record with Davidans or Sony or Warner's, whatever. All the flashy yeah. stuff you're paying for it. So the quicker you realise that, the better. But nobody tells you that when you're signing the big contracts. Nobody says, no. "Oh, by the way, see when you get this, you're actually paying for it." You know, so that if you if you weigh it all up, I consider myself as being better off now. I don't mean financially, but I'm I'm better off as a person. I'm better off mentally. I'm better off in the music industry being where I am now than I was back then. I forget all the flashy stuff. I, I'm not interested in that anymore. Yeah, you know, it's just baubles, mate. Yeah. Right, I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a it's a false it's a false economy. It's a false yeah. sense of security you've got back yeah, then. You think you think you've made it. You think you're set up for life. But yeah. it's the furthest from the truth. I know. Absolutely, hundred percent. You know, right. my, my my old dog remember Blade. Yeah. My old dog has actually ate more money in checks than I've earned this year. You know, because uh, that's what he used to do, man. Everything, the, the promos, CDs, he would eat everything that came through the door. <laughs> you know, he did he ate a publishing check that came through the door one day, and it was a five-figure sum. You know, uh, I'm giving a f- I had to phone them and get the check reissued. You know, thankfully, I never sent you cash. <laughs> ah, exactly, man. Ah, exactly. I I remember for me it was like. You know, just becoming a father and all that as well and then going right there's this rock and roll lifestyle on the road where i'm coming back with less money than i left I can't, I just, how how am i meant to even keep going and like you want to write music you want to do all but reality dictates in it and, and i think you're right mark as in as long as you can you know pay the bills and you know keep doing it that's what making it is kind of thing yeah, yeah as painful as it was to go look i can't do this anymore it was what the decision that I had to make at that time. Was that was it later or was it before that that Ali, because he, he ended up taking stuff with Shield and just bolting. You guys didn't even know or something. Was that? Yeah. And I don't want to dwell on the the negatives, but just to kind of get to that's up to where you're at now. Just to quickly summarise what's happened through the years, kind of thing. You know, was that about after? Well, it? I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamesy. I think Mal, you you left. The band in 2004. I something like that, three, four, and maybe. Ali, Ali was like maybe just before that, maybe like I, maybe was it two, maybe 2003, James? Was it? 
was it was it after Mill left? I can't actually. It was remember. after because Neil had just come on. Ah, board. that's right, that's right. We'd done a few gigs yeah. with Neil, hadn't we? Right, because Neil, Neil Skinner after you left in two thousand and four, Mill. Uh, you know, I was friendly with Neil Skinner. Me and James had obviously history with him with the hangar and all that kind of stuff. I went to school with Neil, and um, so Neil was a next, you know, kind of. Well, he was the, the guy that I was wanting to get to yeah, replace nice you. Kind of thing, guy, the guy, yeah. that, I phoned up Neil. Guy. I phoned up Neil before I actually phoned you guys to see him out, just to see if he would be up for it. Because obviously with the Davy connection, and then because I, you know, that way where I'm going, I'm leading the guys here, and I felt like the big dick. Right. You know, like, as in just lean using a hole, and and it was through Davy that I thought I, I sounded out with Neil. So, like, so, 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 if you went, oh, Mal, what, what you you know, like, what you doing kind of thing? I had like, to go, ah, but you know, Neil's could could do the job dead easy. That, that, no, that, that was, was some, my that was something that we were we were never. I was never aware that you'd already spoken to Neil. I, so when I, I phoned Neil to ask him, I didn't realise that he'd actually spoken to you, or vice versa. So I, I, that was new to me. I know he I, told us that recently, but I, that was the first time I'd heard that. That was the first thing I'd know because I had been debating about it. How do I, you know, how how do I get on with my own stuff without leaving the boys in a hole? In, in the lunch, kind of thing. And I'd I'd phoned up Neil, who I only knew in the passing, really. How you doing, mate? to sound him out before I said to you guys uh, and, and obviously he was like oh, I'd love to can I and I went well look, I'm, I'm going to speak to the guys and that was like no my get out of jail card but that was like I'm oh, no leaning his yeah. I'm no like being a dick and just fucking off um, you, were, you were a dick but it's fine don't worry <laughs> and he did fuck off <laughs> and I, did, I know joking. but I think you know financially and mentally it was just at the time for me where I had to fucking look after myself kind of thing yeah, you know you're getting on a bit mate it's just understandable Aye, the, the nights were getting longer you know but you know that way I don't know starting a family it, it, you're just it, it, thinking it was, just starts changing time, it was time served mate you know you'd, we'd all taken I think we'd all taken you know that 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 uh that group of public domain had kind of served its time with the whole commercial success. The second stage for us was having Neil involved, taking it back down a level to do clubs and we didn't have to worry. But in saying that, yep. we, did, we yep. actually did end up having sacks released in an incentive, you know, with Positiva, we did this oh, track we... with Love You More with Sunscreen. You know, so I'd actually, f- just f- forgetting about that, you know, we, ha- we did actually have not not commit well did we get did we have commercial six did we get end up in the top four to be love you more james i don't, I don't think, think we did, did mate, no but, I don't so think we, we, did. We, but we still had a, a relative a, a six with quite a lot of success after your time with the band well you know we still yeah. had well, good yeah. things going on nick cox you know nick cox from incentive uh, you know, was come up to see us now and again, taking any tracks that we had. You know, we're still doing tours, still doing, had a lot of success. We love you more, uh, make the connection. You know, other tracks that we had, Americana, still getting support from Jules and Radio One. You know, so it wasn't as if things didn't change drastically. You know, Are you still producing and putting still, the tunes out? I would taking a step down the ladder, but we're still we're still successful. Right, so yeah. it wasn't like a, it wasn't too much of a, a crash. Yeah, we had a crash when we found out we'd been ripped off. Quite a lot of money by you know who so yeah. that the next the next stage for us is to re- reform you know get things working with neil and it was like this is this is the new public domain let's see what we can do with this and neil yeah. as you know is a great vocalist you know we did a lot of tracks with him rapping we did a lot of tracks with him actually singing you know so it was like another another uh another wee string of a bow exactly mate, Aye. exactly yeah so yeah it was, and then you know that's that's just the way things went and it's 
we still get, you know, James is still doing public domain to this day with Neil. Yeah. But I, you know, to kind of wrap things up, I, I made the decision myself in 2009 to leave the band just purely because, you know, I just felt as if I wanted to pursue my own solo career. I'm still really good mates with James. I work, work next door with James in the studio. You know, I'm still still very much a, a colleague and a good friend of James, and that, that'll always be. But yeah. I just felt in 2009, it just felt like the right thing. I felt okay. I've time served the public domain. My own thing's been okay now. I, I want to pursue having my own labels and doing my own solo stuff and outburst and doing my own tours and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's that's what's going to happen after that. Hip and do
you feel, James? Because again, this is almost like your baby as in your first bite of the cherry. You were only letting this go. You were you were adamant to keep this flying the flag for public domain. How did you feel when, like, for instance, I've left and Mark's left? It's just you. All right, Neil's there and all. Yeah. What's what's your mindset? Um, you know what as well as you know, um, you guys, you guys were as much part of public domain as, as me and Ali. Um, when you guys decided to leave, it was your decision to do so. You know, um, I always always wish you both the very best of luck. And the thing about this is, Nene has, has ever fell out about this, not yeah. once. You know, like yeah. you just said, Matt, we're, we're probably going to be good friends and colleagues for the rest of our days. And that goes for you as well, Mallorca, you know. Um, and that is the one beautiful thing that I can take to public domain. You know, like we said earlier, there's loads of great memories, guys. There really is. There's a few bad ones as well. But the one thing that I do take for it is the friendships that I've made over the years. But it's true, though. You know, it's 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 just it's, it's how it is. You know, you, you hear of bands throughout the years blowing up. Nobody talks to each other. Mallorca, you've experienced it yourself, pal. Mm-hmm. It's never been like that with us. You know, cheers, man. Cheers, you know. Um, so, as to be in public domain myself, then I'll fly the flag for as long as I need to. You know, um, because like you said, public domain is my first baby. The same as the Sonic was your first baby, the same as Castle Brothers was yours. They're always going to hold a place in your hearts, boys. Yeah. You know, um, the same as PD will for me. And that's why I'll keep this flag flying. Um, you know, yep, you're right. We're not getting as many gigs as we used to back in the day. Fuck hell, nobody's getting any gigs these days. You know, um, but yeah, I'm still flying the flag. We just came back to Australia and Japan October last year. An amazing tour, Mal. You know that, you were there. Um, so I love public domain. You know, again, it kind of gets back to what I said earlier about walking through the hangar doors and hearing the music and watching the guys on stage. I fell in love. You know, and that music, while, if I'm honest, I don't listen to it all the time anymore, I still have a love for it. Mm-hmm. And I always will, you know. There's um, still a part, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, James, there is still a part of me that thinks, you know, I'd like, it's like, I know, I'd like to be back in public domain for a year, I'm back for a few weeks to do a, do a new thing, you know, but that's I, that's that's my decision, I, I decided to leave, and it's my bed, I, I've got to lie on it kind of thing, but there's yeah. always going to be a part of me that wishes I was still in public domain, because mm-hmm. it, it was... I know the Castle Brothers and working with Trevor, that was my first baby as well, but public domain was obviously a, a bigger, bigger scaled project and it, you know, that to me blades is my baby as, as much as it is to all of us as yeah, well, you know. So absolutely. Well, that's well, that's never say never, boys, you never know what's gonna happen. Right. You end up, that's true, man. That's true. Well, that's just, I mean, with the full COVID hang, nobody's doing it this year, but when, when like, <laughs> early, I've turned into a gardener. But we're all getting to enjoy a bit of life that we've never had, you know, never really experienced. I mean and when I had in November, I was thinking about the 20th anniversary and how great it'd be to do a gig and it's all together. But maybe that's something we can look at in 2021 or something. But it, yeah. that's to, to, to round it up, you know, and you're right, James, and you're right, Mark, you know, with the definition of success is still being able to do what you love doing, which is making music. And also yeah. what you say, James, which I, I never really thought about. And that's right, you know, the fact that we're all still mates and still just get along because. You know, I've just come out a 20 year fight with Roger. It took us 20 years to speak. Yeah. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. And all the message, yep. mess and the baggage that goes with that. 
we've not had that messy fallout, which yeah. in itself is such a amazing. relief. It's amazing, mate. It yeah. is. You know, we've yeah. maybe all had a wee bumps in the road, but it's not been anything that's not been sorted. Uh, there's no it, toys at the tram kind of thing. It's we've all yeah. just anything that's come up, we've dealt with it. It's, Aye. It's three or four adults and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even just, just I never even thought, you know, by the end of this chat that I'd be like coming away going, fucking hell, wow. But I, I really think I've came away from it now going, you know, you know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's like, you know, what Bethies have said struck a chord with you just to, 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 to round it all up, you know, and, it, you know, we're still doing what we love today. Uh, and there's no any animosities or thoughts. That, and that's a fucking yeah. beautiful thing, man. So how, yeah, how, man. Do you measure, how do you measure success? You know, family, friends and having a roof over your house. That, yep. That's, to me, that's everything. I think, you know, without saying like an old bastard, <laughs> the, old, the older you get, the more you appreciate stuff like that. Covid's, COVID's made us all appreciate that tenfold more this year. Yep. The fact that this, that, you know, who cares about anything else? If you if your family's okay and you've got a house and you know your friends and everybody's safe and alive and keeping well, that's first and foremost. That's what life's about. Not yep. touring and I we all love it, but that's not it falls in insignificance when yeah. when there's a such a, a major threat in our lives just now with this bloody virus. Mm-hmm. You know that's yeah. it's, there you go. Yeah. So just winding it up, Jamesy, Mark, websites of where people can find out what you're up to nowadays. Just cool, no worries. You've got PD Music Studios. Um, I'm running the studio doing one to one tuition. Unfortunately, classes are down at the moment with the COVID thing. Um, but we can. Um, I've been doing kind of social distance tuition in the studio, that kind of vibe. Um, so the studio is here for any audio needs. Um, you've got the website there, it's pdmusicstudios.com. You'll also catch me on Facebook. Uh, keep a wee eye out for live feeds coming from the redesigned reception area of the studio. Um, it's, it's looking pretty good down there. Um, so once COVID's over, Mal, I'll be expecting you down for a wee mix at some point, pal, <laughs> once, you're, once we're allowed to do that. Uh-huh. Um, so I, yep, pdmusicstudios.com. Wicked, what about yourself, Mark? My website, MarkSherry.net, it literally got taken offline two weeks ago because we're revamping it, but it's MarkSherry.net. Um, but also, we've got OutburstRecords.com, which is where you can buy all the Outburst t-shirts there we go. Lovely. Hey. I hope you've got an extra last for, for my name on it. <laughs> and we've got uh, Prism, Prism CDs, all that kind of stuff, merchandise, wristbands, uh, t-shirts, hoodies, all that kind of stuff. So OutburstRecords.com. On Facebook, uh, my artist page is MarkSherryDJ, uh, forward slash MarkSherryDJ, and I've got a, my new mastering page as well, if anyone's looking for any mastering. You can email me at mastering at marksherry.net or you can find me on Facebook at uh, marksherry forward slash marksherry mastering. There you go. Wicked. Well, I've just got to say that was a brilliant wee chat, boys. Um, Great, lads. And I hope I'm sure everybody. I'm sure everybody listening will enjoy it. What I'm going to try and do the rest of the day is quickly edit it and try and get it out the night, if not tomorrow morning. So it's a good bit of weekend listening. But um, I'll just say thanks and I'll switch after recording and then all the best now.